everyone. Welcome to Base Cafe with Holly and Dean. I'm Holly. And I'm Dean. Today we're going to be talking about pro-level We have some awesome stuff to talk about today. Um, basically, just how do you get to be a pro-level musician or bassist and what it takes to be on those big tours. And then we have a special guest who is on a lot of those big tours with some of those pro-level guys. Uh, my friend Ace Bergman, who is one of the, I guess, I don't know, famous in my eyes as far as uh, as far as crew crew goes. <laughs> like he's been on tour with you know Slash. Uh, he's been on tour with Glenn Hughes. He's been on tour with um, uh, with just everybody, right? Um, Gavin Rossdale. Hmm. Um, Gavin Rossdale. <laughs> Was yeah. was that edited? Was that put into the interview? Did you or did you put that in there? I didn't watch that part of our yeah. podcast. Like, yeah, it was in there. Yeah, all right. Yeah. So, if you want to hear my Gavin Rosdale story, <laughs> you just have to watch episode five because I love it and I have no shame. I have no shame. I'm just saying, dude. I do. The best part about being a musician is not only being like in bands but being fans of bands mm -hmm. right like why are we all why are we musicians first off yeah because because there was a cd or an album or a cassette tape that we wore the out yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that like that what went through dog piss and you know ex-girlfriends and friends cars and had to be like got eaten by a machine or two and had to be spooled up and then like record you know and then that tape got messed up and so you heard the song on the radio so you recorded the song on the radio on the tape and then you made your own mixtape and then you gave it to your friends <laughs> everybody had a jam yeah yeah yo what was your jam i this is so off script we have the guys and we have a whole script and i'm just i'm off what was your jam what right. what like made you made you like go for music i have a song um i don't I know that as far as melding my um, poetry with wanting to be a guitarist, probably Nirvana, because my second record or record, my second CD that I got was, um, was it my second one? Was it my first one? Maybe it was my first one was Nevermind. Yeah, I think my first CD was Nevermind. That was within my first, my first CD ever was Insomniac by Green Day. Yeah, so I just knew that I liked all the songs on there. And I, I obviously like Nirvana, but um, he was very poetic. And so that was something I was wanting to get into and play guitar, you know. So Nirvana made you want to be a guitarist because I had like favorite songs before. Right. I have yeah. my list of like my favorite songs. Like I can tell you that I think my first my first two ever favorite songs uh, my first ever was Bohemian Rhapsody. My second was Welcome to My Nightmare by Alice Cooper. Those were two songs that like I wore out on everything that I had. Back then it was recording, it was like set, uh, cassette tape recordings of my mom's album. Yeah. That's how I would get it. And then I would wear out yeah. the tape. <laughs> like, right? Yeah, I would always record the cassettes from whatever. Yeah, you get all the static in there from the album uh, and from the tape. So by the yeah. time you listen to it, it's just like, it sounds like a Cannibal Corpse concert. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> Tapes flying out of the machine. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, okay, so Nirvana, yeah, that was one of my first CDs where I was like, okay, I want to start doing more music with this, but I wanted to what, do... What music. one song? What, like, what song made you, like, did you fall in love with on that CD? On that CD? Yeah, like, that That was like, all right, I'm going to do this. Well, okay, so Come As You Are, I that was my first song I learned, Come As You Are. Um then I learned Heart Shape Box. Was Come As You Are your favorite? Is that why you learned it first? Or was I think it, it was like... Easiest, it was probably the easiest that I could get down with my guitar teacher that I had at the time. Because this is when I was 13. This is when I started actually playing, trying to go and learn. Uh, because before that, we've we've talked about, like, I've had a lot of experience with tr wanting to do it. I just never did it. Right. And then 13 is when I tried my first time. So my teacher, the first... The, 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 those were the first two songs and there was uh jimmy hendrix um purple haze i think was another song that i was learning uh, all yeah. that's all that shit's so hard right like even come as you are like if for a beginning player yeah that shit's hard like yeah. i yeah. i wanted to play uh -huh. right but like kind of sort of mm -hmm. and like i even had a guitar like even all, all this stuff, like I, I could give you a whole timeline, right? But once, like the beautiful people was my jam by Marilyn Manson, and once I just saw someone do it, and I saw how easy it was. I at that moment, I remember I was in my friend Adam Priscilla's bedroom, and I like, you know, I was figuring out guitar. I didn't really know what drop D tuning even was, but he played that riff, and I loved that song so much. Like I wore out tapes. I had this one tape I recorded off the off the radio. It was my own mixtape, and it's so weird. And I don't know, and don't ask me to explain this. But there's only two songs on that tape on one side, and then the same two songs on the other side. That's it. And it was the Beautiful People by Marilyn Manson that I recorded off of 92.3 K Rock, followed by Love Me, Love Me by the cardigans <laughs> couldn't be two more different songs wow <laughs> did you paint one side of the cassette white and one side black <laughs> no it was just it was it but like and i remember like everybody loved the beautiful people so every everybody must have thought i was something very strange because back then we used to I don't know about this kids, but we used to buy like you buy, I guess like you borrow someone's phone when you don't have like the coolest phone and they have this app or whatever. Back then we used to bring our cassette tapes to school and like our cassette players. And this one dude, John Dilger would always ask during computer class to listen to my tape, you know, tape deck, uh, my, my Walkman. And that was the tape that was in it. It was just those two songs. And like, it's so weird. It's so weird Which that I remember that. What? Was he listening to the Carnegie's? <laughs> I didn't know. I think he just wanted to listen to the beautiful people. And I think, I don't know if he like, but see back then, everybody, not every, <laughs> right? but when you got, when you got the, the, the five and dime uh -huh. Walkman because you broke too many. Right. And you start getting the five and dime Craig Walkmans, you know, and and Jomies, not the Sonys, but the Jomies. You know what I mean? When you start, you know, when you start getting the Jomies, oh, um, 
they don't always have a rewind button. So the reason why it had the same two songs on in the beginning of each side is because I listened to the two songs and then have to hit the fast forward button because it was just yeah. play, stop, fast forward, yeah. no rewind, right? And so you'd listen to the two songs and then you fast forward to the end and then you flip the tape and you get those two songs again. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I just like... I, yeah. It's almost like tape I just had like a like a flashback, dude. I was living that moment just now. <laughs> tape tape was uh, one of the ugly stepchildren of the the recording uh, mediums. <laughs> As we discussed, I believe in our first or second episode, right? <laughs> yeah. Not only is it amazing uh, as far as like it's it's amazing sonically, but you just can't do anything else with it. <laughs> I just noticed your your upright bass is back. It looks like you yeah. didn't. It looks like you didn't even leave. It looks like you went back to your your other place. Yeah, I went to the other spot. I was in the. I have several spots I can do these at, and if this if the jam room is closed for other jams, then I have to go to the other spot. <laughs> oh, oh, all right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> and speaking of jam rooms, I saw that you uh you you did a jam with on your Patreon, right? Yeah, I'm doing jams on Twitch. Um, they're live on Twitch, and then you can get the recorded version on my Patreon. Uh, so it's like if you wanted to sign up for the five dollar tier, just to make sure you get to watch all of the jams or, and a couple of like acoustic stuff and things that I do. Uh, it's just five dollars a month. Um, but yeah, I'm just trying to. We'll uh, we'll stream them live and then record them, and I'll have them on there. Uh, but it's pretty fun. It's been a lot of fun. The first jam we did was clutch inspired. So we would listen to a clutch song and then I'd get an idea. And, and we'd I love, I love the clutch groove. Yeah. You guys like don't it. know, man. Oh, the clutch it. groove is so <laughs> and then good. The second one we did, um, no, I'm sorry. The first one we did was uh, Led Zeppelin and the second one was clutch. And then the third one we had people call out um keys and then i would just play in a key whatever we were playing whatever jam so it sounds like you're doing some pro level shiz maybe right <laughs> i guess like... that's what pro level is now <laughs> you know um so the main episode the main point of this episode is going to be like what it what is really required for higher level gigs of any kind yeah. Um, yeah. in this case, um, our guest was a tech, right? Mm -hmm. And, and I mean, dude, techs are such an integral part of the gigs. Yeah. <laughs> like a uh, gig can, can fall or, or rise, you know, based on the tech alone. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And a lot of things that he said in the interview were, you know, he's, he's gotta be the right man for the job because he's got to know all the parts and he's got to know what, what makes something you know if he uh we're you know talking about going from you know different tones and stuff and if you're on a flying gig what he opens a box and there's a new head and a new amp or a new amp and a new uh, cabinet but it's nothing's dialed in and you know he's got to figure out how to dial this in perfectly for you know this this artist and you've got to make sure you know so you got to know your stuff yeah. like yeah. <laughs> Um, there's been a couple of gigs and I'm sure techs do it, man. Like, you know, you get hired for, if you get hired for hate breed, 
you know what your playlist should be the entire time that you're flying into this hate breed gig? Hate breed. Hate breed. <laughs> you know, like, um, I, for the couple of gigs that I work for other bands where I'm their tech, um, if I don't know them, um, I do non nothing but nonstop listen to that band, um, live performances mm -hmm. um, and studio recordings. You want to know your gig. You want to know what they need prior to it. Exactly. Uh, all those gigs are hard. Yeah. Being a tech is one of the, it can be one of the hardest jobs of the tour. It can be one of the easiest jobs of the tour, you know, like sometimes, but that one day, that one day, the whole tour that you really earn your money you know, it's just not a walk in the park. Sometimes, yeah. some sometimes there's like the worst case yeah. scenario, and you defuse the atomic bomb yeah. one second before detonation, and it's go time, and yeah. then it goes, and then the whole time that like the show's going on, everyone's kind of like, is it gonna fall? And it doesn't. <laughs> that day, what happens to your heart? <laughs> <laughs> your heart beats 45 times more than every other heart of the person screaming in the crowd. I swear to God to you. Because all you want is all those hearts pumping and you feel so responsible. Yeah. You know? you feel yeah, so you have a huge responsibility. Um, I mean, even though the artist is out there give, you know, playing the music, the tech, it's the tech's responsibility that the power cord is in the right position and <laughs> the amps are on so to make uh, sure the nervous there, the yeah. nervous system of the consciousness of that like art experiment is firing yeah yeah but and you and, flaw and flawlessly mind you mm -hmm. and and you'd be surprised um you know well, you might not be but some of our listeners might be uh what bassists are out there that don't really know um a lot about their their gear they leave it up to the, their bass tech and they they choose a bass tech because they know how to set up their base correctly and do everything. Then you have artists that do it all and they come they come prepared and they've already done everything and your job is a walk in the park. So uh, it's it's best to kind of be able to to take it either way, you know, either be there completely 100% for the artist, making sure that you mean, you're you're basically catering and uh, to them or they're showing up and you're just making sure that everything goes the way that they want it to. So it's, um, it's pretty good. Uh, I mean, being, being at that pro level, uh, he does a lot of big tours. So the, the good thing about being on a big tour is that everything's kind of already set in motion and you already have all your backup there. You have pretty much everything you need there. But if you're doing a one-off tour, say like he gets a one-off tour in Aruba <laughs> and you really just have to make sure every, you know, you're, your rig is there and everything is there you're ready to work and um it's it's it can be very interesting i think and and then there's like the transition sometimes like so much of the the importance for trying to be as much the man for the job as possible woman for the job the person for the job as possible um is because you never want to be the person who's sent home from a tour um 
I've almost left tours. Um, you know, everybody's has like their, their bad tour story, right? Like everyone has like the hell tour story. And if you don't, you will, <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> like you will. <clears throat> and I'm not talking about the day-to-day stuff. I'm talking about like the one. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. And like in those times, new techs get flown in like if you're a tech who's done their stuff if you're a band member who's done their stuff and you're and you're getting flown into this gig last minute and it's your job to not only fill those shoes of whatever that person was doing obviously and more (laughs) right and more than what that person was doing who got sent home or had to leave sometimes sometimes like superman has to go home and fight another fire and then another guy has to come in and fill superman's shoes that isn't easy either you know that's not easy either if you look at you know all the famous bases that are out there there are equally just as famous in our world texts yeah if you don't know i can tell you that amongst musicians the texts are the rock stars very often not always but like dude you get some guys yeah you, you get some, some guys that that and girls you know like you get some you get some some stage workers of any sort that yeah. sometimes you look at them and you remember them just as much as the dude who shredded that solo that blew you away mm-hmm. you know yeah and and the good thing is that when you when the artist doesn't know the the tech usually knows the answer. <laughs> the artist doesn't know the answer. You can always get a good answer from the tech. Dude, how many, how many, how many rig rundowns do you watch on, on, uh, uh, premier guitar? I'm, I'm knitting. Okay, yeah. Premier guitar, all those rig rundowns. I watch every single one. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's the occasion that the artist is like doing the one who's like uh-huh. walking through their gear, there's always a question about strings or picks or something that they're like, I don't know. Tom? <laughs> there's always there's always one like, hey Ed. Yeah. What do we use on this one? Like there's always there's always one of those. Yeah. I I asked him, um, you know, kind of string specific out there, what are the main strings that everybody's using? Because I use hand wound DR strings and I've heard from not very many people, but some people don't like the hand wound versus, you know, this regular wound, wound, wound strings. <laughs> machine yeah. It's um, yeah, machine wound. It's, they might yeah. not be as tight. I mean, but you're also buying the characteristic, right? I'm, right. I've been to DR. I've been to DR. Yeah, I and, I, and I know exactly how those shits are wound. And I'll tell you that the hand wound, yeah. I cannot see it being any like any different in a negative way to how mm-hmm. like the machine wound is. Like it's either as good or better you know what yeah. i mean like i just i've seen it i've seen i've seen them <laughs> right and i guess <laughs> crazy what i've, what I've heard I, I won't mention the person's name but it's a very famous guitar player told me at one point that they stopped doing that because they're going to dr because um they could tell a difference now this is a person who's been playing guitar since they were you know a baby and for some reason i guess sonically listen it's it's all personal preference every amp every tone every bass every string every pick every cable every wireless every plug-in every effect every microphone it doesn't matter it's all preference right everybody 
doesn't like something about something and likes something else more for x reason yeah you know like it's it just comes down to what resonates with you Mm -hmm. and so with that like being a tech or being a bassist or being a musician of any kind of being in a band you're gonna find a, a a common theme here right you're gonna find that these people who are trying to reach these goals they're always practicing Mm-hmm. They're always working on their craft. They're always uh, techs are always always building stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Static X guitar tech, uh, Shadi. Mm-hmm. He uh, in his off time, he was building guitars for people, trying to yeah. entice, like being That's creative like, during these non tour times. He was taking old parts and building guitars and selling them to show people his work. So maybe that leads to him teching a gig later on. You know, or getting someone's guitar collection to show up to his garage, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's what Ace does. He's built a couple of uh, guitar cab, uh, guitar cabs and or amps, um, a couple of guitars. And it, it makes it, you know, it makes it better for him to do that. So he knows it through and through. You know, one of the first things I hear these things, you know, one of the very first things I did with my first guitar um, was I took everything, I took all the strings off. Mm-hmm. I took it completely apart. I took all the screws and I pulled the pick guard off. And the only thing I didn't take apart was those two wires um, that went to the input jack. Um, but I like took it all apart. Yeah. I like took the neck off everything. And I put yeah. it back together. Yeah. My dad and I worked on cars, right? So it was like, it was so natural. And it, yeah. it seemed, it wasn't a whole car. It was just a couple, two pieces of wood and some screws, like, and a yeah. piece of plastic, like, you know. Um, yeah, it's not that hard. You just, you, but you do need to know. So, like, yeah, kind of what we're talking about being a, um, you know, pro level. Sometimes you're going to have a bass tech. Sometimes you're not. Sometimes you're going to share a bass tech with the drum tech <laughs> or a tech with the drummer. So knowing your, your equipment is, is, should be at the top of your priority list. However, if you get a really big gig, there's going to be a really awesome tech that can take care of everything that you need. So you take it how you want to. And I've also had to be informed. I, I like it's to my own detriment, right? Like when someone doesn't know their stuff on a big tour, like the tech will pick up the slack, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so if I didn't know, really my bass rig or if I like sucked at hooking it up and couldn't tune my bass for shit, mm-hmm. um, then my tech would pick up the slack. <laughs> but me being who I am with the way I am with gear, I like it. I take it apart. I fix it. I use it. Right. Um, I just know my way around it. I get it. It's like I'm Mr. Tinkerton. Mm-hmm. Um, because of that, I can do, I can, I like to do my stuff. I take care of my stuff. My, my shit is done. And what's awesome about that is if when you're in the scenario, like you just brought up where you're bassist and your drummer, and maybe on the need of stress tours, we have one tech, yeah. whole band, whole band. Mm-hmm. So much of that show relies on the person whose name is on the banner. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm just going to, mm-hmm. it, it does. Right. Um, the more that we can do as musicians and really know our stuff, if I can do my own setups and my own intonations and everything like that, 
And then I can have all that stuff done while the tech's running around doing the lights and the drums and the this and the that. If I am done with my stuff and I can lend my hand to helping him with the lights or mm -hmm. hooking up Nita's pedals or, or tuning the guitar or anything, anything, that's when you get a show. Like, I can't stress this enough. Something I really, really, really learned and something I love about your band um, is that you just need to have all the cogs of the same wheel. Yes. Right? You just need to all be cogs on the same wheel. Yeah. I've had issues with that in bands, you know? I do sometimes feel like I'm a cog on a different wheel. This is a huge, huge part of being a pro level player is you have to be part of the same team. Now, there are pro level players or pro level bands out there that have been together for many, many years that don't even sleep on the same bus. But when those bands disband, you, you know why. When they don't come together for 10 years, you know why. And so, it's hard. It's hard when you're when you're on different ideals. You know, I've tried to to gel with people that I just feel I don't know can't do it. I'm trying, yeah. trying, you know. And sometimes it doesn't line up, and it sucks when you when you love those people, right? And then you get to this scenario. You're like, how many, dude? Any band that's broken up, anyone that's had a band that's broken up knows that at one point or another, you absolutely love those dudes in that band, and then yeah. when that band breaks up. I mean, you may still love them, but I don't know. I haven't talked yeah. to them in a couple of years, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, if those bands come back together and you have different crew on there, I mean, it's just, it, it's so ancestral, the, the music industry that you just, you don't want to be on anybody's bad side and you don't want to create too much chaos because people, the word gets around and people know who you are and you don't get asked, you know, back to join. So it's it's just best on those pro level gigs to you know the attitude is a huge part of it the hang um nobody wants to hang out with a, a, a butthead <laughs> right i i'm i'm half guilty of that sometimes too because i am so damn passionate mm -hmm. like <clears throat> i want to be pro level to a fault sometimes mm -hmm. you know what i mean yeah like like for real uh, when it comes to this journey, pff, I've been an overachiever since day one, you know, uh, and that that's hard. That's hard sometimes, you know, like and so like one of these things is when you want to be pro level, you have to work with as many people as possible. And so one of those things that I'm talking about right now, right, is that when you work with as many people as possible, you start to understand the types of personalities that you can work with. Um, if you do have issues with someone and you don't align with their thoughts, you can come to common ground and realize that you can't change that person and you can either accept them and work with them and disagree and move on or walk away. You know what I mean? Um, walk away to maybe jam another day, you know, but um, you have to jam with as many people as possible. You have to play as often as possible and you really just have to know what you're doing. Yeah. And, and I have this, this, He's now my guitar player in my other band. His name is Zaki Ali. He plays guitar for Kalias, uh, but he played drums in my band, Darkness Descends, and he plays drums with me for Enzo Amore. Uh, sorry, plays guitar with me for Enzo Amore. Um, we have this timing. Mm 
we don't always agree on 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 uh business views and responsibilities he's a lot more laid back i'm a lot more aggressive about everything like but when we come together it's fucking it's beautiful <laughs> it's beautiful um even even in like certain with certain like rough times like uh the other night we were at rehearsal we're so locked in that uh our drummer was like what song do you want to play and he's like ah oh, i don't know i feel like i should we should play and then he just started playing and at that exact moment him and i both started playing the exact same so song we were exactly in time we just have this thing yeah that no matter what like we get it you know even if we don't agree we get it he yeah. gets it that i get it and i get it that he gets it we yeah. just get it differently yeah right well like so i mean like if you're touring with somebody you're with them constantly so you both you just kind of have to get people like where the parameters are of getting on their nerves and not getting <laughs> on their nerves because everybody's personality is different well, if you're building a band, though, if you're building a band, right, you're building up a band versus joining a band, right? Once the launch date happens and the tour is booked and you're on the tour, that's like the, that's the easy peasy sailing. And like with all that hard work that has to go into that's actually the easy job. So much of the harder job was the five years before that, <laughs> yeah. you know, was the five years of auditioning and writing and recording and releasing and promoting and, you know, and royalties and managers and, you know, producers and studios and demos and arguments and band dues and vans and one offs like, <laughs> hello, you know, before the tour ever happens, there's five years of hell. Easy, easy 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 yeah. you know how many you know how many goddamn tickets a band has to sell their soul to to play on on these shit shows at local i do for big bands I, I, for the I, first I five years before I, I know they exactly get. how many yeah i know i know you know and and in some of those bands dude i got bass player of uh, uh, band members i don't want to give that one away <laughs> but i got band members of other bands that have like what i I imagine they just have a box of tickets they never sold. <laughs> like, like there's like in their sock drawer, there's just like unsold tickets from the Soulfly show. I've given away because I just wanted to give the men, the the venue, the money, so that we could be booked again. Like, it's just, it's a racket. It's it, dude. It's a rat race. It's a rat race. It it absolutely the world is pay to play, but it's not pay to play in a bad way. I hate it when bands get so upset about this pay to play shit. And it's like, no, dude, listen, you have to not suck. Mm -hmm. They want, they want like you having to pay to play. That's, it's like, if no one wants to come see you, you have to make them come want to see you. Yeah. That's, if, that's part of our good, job. Yeah. And if you're a good band, you shouldn't have any problem. I never had problems selling tickets. I mean, every now and then they're like, I'd have to sell five and it'd be like, well, eventually somebody's going to want these tickets. So I'll, I'll buy them. And then I just have to, you know, I never have a hard time meeting my ticket quotas yeah. to the point where some of my friends don't ever want to come to another show again. I've sold them so many. I think the hardest part of if you if you run the band, which I did in a, you know some cases, it all falls on you. So if my band members aren't 
selling the tickets, then I have to pick up the slack. Or if you're in charge of the ticket selling and you have one band member that just refuses to do it, then it falls on the other band Or, members, you know? or <laughs> one band member who not only doesn't sell tickets, but then doesn't bring them to the show to turn them in. So you have to cover them out of your own pocket where you could have just at least had the promoter give you a slap on the wrist, you know, but they didn't come back. So now you either have to like talk the promoter out of like making you pay for said bundle of tickets, Yeah, you know? And, and honestly that could throw a person out of a band. If you're really, a, if you're a hardworking band. Creates tension at the very least. And you're really trying to make it in your, your, you know, musician circle and your, your town, you know, uh, music scene, you, you need the support from the people who are in your band the most. The, the, if you guys don't support each other, how, how is anybody else supposed to support you? So, and it's hard because right. Like we're all in one form or another, we're all broken. <laughs> like all musicians, we're all broken, dude. Like it, nobody's it, broken. No, 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 not in a bad way, not in a bad way, but like, we have our, listen, our you, you have to be broken to, to see a goal as hard as this and to understand that you can, as long as you're running hard enough, fast enough, you can smash through those obstacles. Like you have to be broken to, to see an obstacle and realize oh, it's not really an obstacle. I just got to do this and I'm going to get it. Like that's, that's a, a mess. Like. Yeah. The average yeah, person doesn't do that. To play the blues, you got to get your heart broken. <laughs> I'll tell you, the last seven years of my life, it, it's like my touring life started yeah. at the same time that I suffered my greatest losses. Yeah. And so I went through two traumatic things side by side. Mm -hmm. And like you really have to rise up or fall oh yeah when i got the phone call to uh for zeparella i was in one of the worst places of my life living in like one of the worst places in dallas yeah getting stuff stolen out of my vehicle like it was the worst and i still had to put a smile on my face and go to work every day and then go on tour and do this audition you know it's like i I had to pick myself up and it's all, you know, and most, it's, it's done. Yeah. And most people like they'd get a good job and they'd like keep that job. Mm -hmm. I would get these really great truck driving jobs for all these different companies doing paving and stuff like that. You know, um, driving, I, I have a class A CDL and the reason why I don't really drive a truck too much anymore is because I come with a disclaimer will leave for tour when necessary <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. and that's another part of our industry is that we have to find ways to make it work when we're at home and then all of a sudden oh hey wednesday i have to leave for a tour i'm sorry or two in, in six weeks uh, i've got to leave for this 10-day tour you know it's just i have really i have a phenomenal friend slash boss his name is John Leonti of Leonti Recycling in Waldwick, New Jersey. You want to talk trash? Call Leonti Recycling. <laughs> I love that tagline. I don't care. Um, but dude, when I'm when I'm home from tour, uh -huh. you know, I can call him up and get some shifts. 
Yeah. It's dude, it's so much like the movie The Wrestler with Mickey Rourke. Yeah. It's so, like I don't think you know, when you have when you when you come back from the gig and you like you need your job, like we all have our jobs that we can usually rely on. Yeah. And you have to build up this world. I'm telling you, in the nicest of ways, that means we're broken. You know, like <laughs> um I I had an opportunity to work for the Teamsters. So I drove a float in the Thanksgiving Day parade for 5 years. Um, I, I, I only actually drove in the parade one year, but I drove like the floats into the city and we were like all like part of the crew um, for four of those years. But when it came time to like for them, like, oh, you know, you're going to you're going to like, you know, join this and like do, do what you got to do. I would talk to the guys there and like. They would tell me these stories about how they'd spend like $5,000 on this like Paris vacation for their entire family and everything. Mm -hmm. And then a job comes up and they're like, the family goes without them. Yeah. Bro. Yeah. I, <laughs> I don't operate like that. Like, um, no, it's like, I, I would look at that opportunity and be like, hey, I, sorry, sir, I can't take this job because... I'm going to be a musician. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. You know, um, I think the hard part that everybody says, you know, it's hard to make it because you are balancing constantly. Like, what do I do when I'm not touring? If you have a spouse and you're trying to be a musician and they don't get it. Good luck. Yeah. With that. yeah. <laughs> good luck with that. Um, <laughs> good luck with that. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. It's hard. I mean, you got to be, and, and that puts so much stress. So you're trying to get the job. You're trying, like, I've, I've been in this position, you know, trying to get the job and you're trying to make sure everything is like, they, they see you as the person you really feel that you are instead of all the bullshit that you're having to deal with at home. And you're trying to walk through the door with a big smile on your face and be a good hang and play the parts right. But you just got to fight with somebody, you know, yesterday about, you know, not to spend enough time with them. It's, it's hard. It's really hard. And then when you get the job and then you have to leave every other weekend or or every other month it's or for three months out of you know every six months it's i left for tour hard. once for for six weeks mm -hmm. and then on the last day of that tour got hired by another band at that show and didn't come home on the day i was supposed to come home and left for another six weeks and then that was like caused the final straw of a breakup and then you know wound up moving to the other side of the country <laughs> like it's a crazy life it's a crazy life you can't predict it you know like yeah, yeah. like i thought i was just going on tour for six weeks next thing you know it was three months and on top of that i was i wasn't coming back to new jersey i was gonna live in la like yeah you, that's just the way life pans out you know like there was there's multitude of reasons for all that happening but our lives tend to be so chaotic that these situations present themselves. Yeah. You know, like if we had the stable, you know, I wouldn't have made the mistakes that I've made in my life if I was living a stable life, but mm -hmm. you know, sorry, but the rock and roll gods tempt, tempt you with the devilish treats every day, you know, like they really do. Um, yeah. You have, you have your, I think everyone has their own personal journey, obviously of how they, they made it or they got to where they were and term, along this journey, that term made it yeah made it yeah made it i was at the, like, i was at the food store the other day 
And this kid goes to me. He's like, what do you do? He, he, I had a mask on. He just like saw my tattoos. He's like, what do you do? I was like, oh, I play guitar, I teach guitar, whatever. And like we did our interaction. He goes, oh, man, hope you make it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. It's <laughs> it is so like, weird. Um, I guess what, what, the term made it used to be like your record contract. Those, yeah, like you, had, you got a record contract. But I guess now it's more. You haven't like, been able to quote unquote make it since like '94. <laughs> you know, like, like up from now on, it's just get the gig, do the work. You know, like you're 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 you're, you're, do, you're doing it. You're doing it. That's yeah. It. You're not. You, there's no more make that's it now. You're doing it. Doing it. Yeah. That's true, and that's what we've been talking about with uh, the book. You, you you're always talking about um, the disruption mindset. It's like you've got it's right here. Do you see that? It's right, <laughs> right here. You have to. Uh, These are all my oh, oh my my yeah. my passes are my uh, oh look look. Yeah, <laughs> you have to think about what's what's the future is and what what you're going to do in the future because things change so much. I mean, look at COVID. COVID completely wiped out our industry as far as what we were doing. It wiped out the lazy ones. Yeah, it's true. Well, I thought the ones that weren't going to be able to do it. It doesn't matter what time. Like, I watch Gary V all the time, and especially with the the lockdown, Gary Vaynerchuk. Those of you who don't know him, you should totally check him out if you're into any kind of entrepreneurial or business aspect of brand building, business building, working in 2020 and 2021. Gary Vaynerchuk on all things. It's Gary V-E-E. -E. Instagram, YouTube, all that stuff. He is a phenom when it comes to marketing. And I was watching his videos nonstop trying to figure out what moves to make. And you know who wasn't? All the other weekend warriors, man. They didn't care. They were just like either sitting home collecting their checks or like <clears throat> or selling their axes to Guitar Center. Like, yeah, you know what I mean? The the. The rest of us do things like, I don't know, start a podcast. Let's share our knowledge. Let's let's mm -hmm. interact with people. Let's let's yeah. come down to a different level. Let's go this way. Let's go that way. Let's try this. Let's do an album. Let's do a live stream. Like, you know, let's start a Patreon page. Anything. Let's do lessons. Let's do this more. Let's, you know, a lot of artists started Patreon page and uh, Cameo. Like there was a lot of businesses that thank God for them. Thank yeah. God for Patreon. Thank God for Cameo. Thank God for YouTube. Um, and, and not, not that there's too many musicians on it, but like things like only fans, right? Like, um, my one buddy Enzo Amore, he, he is the only professional wrestler with an only fans and it's not for nudity stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, for... it's a wrestling school. Yeah. He's doing um, re like wrestling, right. And like teaching people yeah. wrestling through only fans. Well, uh, Kiki Wong, um, guitar player from, uh, visual war. She's doing, you know, her guitar uh, shenanigans um she's just the cutest little girl and she she's my age but <laughs> she's just the cutest girl and she does these little shred you know this fun little shred videos and uh she does you know that on only fans and it's i think yeah and and it's great you know obviously that platform in specific gets abused for certain kinds of stuff right, so it's, right. it's rough but but like trivium and um alisa Alicia, Alicia yeah. uh, from Vigil of War. Yeah. She's on Twitch all the time doing stuff, you know, like I love. She's the reason I, I got on Twitch was to see her, the interview she did with Gretchen. 
Right. <laughs> and then I thought, well, this is kind of cool. So I stuck around and now I have my own Twitch account. Right. Yeah. I have a Twitch account too. There's, um, I will, this is a great time to bring this up. Yeah. I am going to be doing stuff with uh, my roommate um, where we're going to, for a certain Patreon level tier, once things pick up, I want to play video games with people. Okay. Um, yeah, I I play Call of Duty, Modern Warfare, yeah. and uh, Black Ops, Cold War mm -hmm. every day that I can. Um, um, what's the guy that, the, um, I think he's a Norwegian guy that does... Uh, the um will it chug uh what's the guy uh nito was on his his uh program he's a youtube guy and he just talks about gear and music and stuff and um i don't know anyways uh he that's what he does he's he's a musician does all the his musician stuff and then on his uh discord he he plays games with all of his followers that play games as well yeah man it's it's a great thing to do i loved the first person I really saw doing it where I saw like the biggest um, in the beginning was Jason Muse was playing Fortnite with people. Okay. You know, like dude, Jay from Jay and Silent Bob, man, that dude dropped his career dropped off, you know, cause he was getting his, his life together. And when he came back with these movies, his like, these people could have forgot about him, but he, took this avenue right to come back in an uh in a unique way and he was playing fortnite with people like mm -hmm. that's great trivium plays video games with people like i want to be able to do that you know in these 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 uh times you can't say the c word by the way otherwise youtube messes with you but in these times um we are we just I call this the second coming of Napster. Holly and I were talking before this podcast and we're going to do a whole, we're going to do a whole episode about this, but I consider this, you know, the second coming of Napster um, for the music industry, where when Napster hit, we lost all of our record sales and bands had to get creative. This thing hit and those of us who aren't lazy had to get creative and work harder. Um, you know, none of us know who, who did it right throughout. We'll find out over the next few years. We'll find out, you know, as time goes on, who, who navigated this thing right, right? But uh, yeah, it's, you know, and that's, that's kind of hard, right? So like, that's something I'd like to address too. With these times, a lot of these points that we're bringing up when we talk about jamming with people, that's a lot harder nowadays, right? Yeah. But Audacity is a recording digital audio workstation or DAW and it is free and if you have a laptop you can get that and buy a $50 used interface and you can track stuff and you can send it to your drummer and your mm -hmm. drummer can do the same thing and if he has a MacBook or anything like that they come with GarageBand for free he can record that and send it back to you you guys can still play together yeah it's harder it it's not as fun it takes more work, but well, if you get yourself used to this, you can collaborate with people. Whoever, yeah. There are even apps now that you can collaborate with people. You just get them. <coughs> yeah. It's great. Or, or going live with someone on Instagram, you know, like joining someone's live stream, anything like that. These, these collaborations, 
right now we're we're like three thousand miles away, but yet we're able to collaborate because we've done the necessary work to, you know, we we Holly and I did like five to seven calls and everything over this working out bugs, trying to figure out what mics we're going to use, what this we're going to use, how we're going to figure out the background. You got to just put the time in. And it's hard to, to collaborate with someone in any capacitation now, yeah. but you can. Um, yeah. Right now, like one of my bands that I have, we still get together. The drummer wears a mask, mm-hmm. you know, I don't care. Cause I had, I had the thing. I already had the thing. <laughs> I had the thing. So, yeah. Wear your mask. Yeah. I had yeah, the thing. So, it's gone. So, I mean, this the subjects that we have today are kind of, kind of interesting because we're we're talking about pro level and then we're also talking about internet stuff. But the thing because is, because it's pro level now. That's why I was trying. To, yeah. Well, now you got to be pro level with the internet. Right. Right. How much have we had to learn? Right. How many, how many different. I had to build my own website. I had to build my own website. I I went, I built two, I built two other websites just for fun, just to see how to build a website and to see which platform I wanted to build it on. And then I had to build my own website and I still do everything on my own website. What's your website for our listeners? (laughs) Hollywestmusic.com. And I have to control everything that goes on through that website, uh, which is not that much harder than running a Patreon. Or I'm a little a lazy about really. my website. Um, yeah, but I've I been I've needed I, to rewrite my bio for like I don't know, a couple months now. Yeah, I, I find that I just need to sit down for an hour or two and just work on stuff. You know, just because something's misspelled here, something's in the wrong place on, you know, this format or whatever. And I just find it better to be like, okay, I just got to go spend an hour looking at stuff. and make it I sure usually it's- wait until there's like a laundry list of crap <laughs> that has to get done on like, like my last, uh, I just recently updated my website, everything except for the bio, mm-hmm. <laughs> which to be honest, my bio is very up to date other than the last three tours that I was on being mentioned in it, which is kind of why I haven't really worried because it's adding three gigs of my resume to my bio wasn't, I guess, you know, I didn't want to just add it on to the end. I was going to like do something with it if I'm going to do anything. Yeah. Um, but I completely trimmed the fat. Like I used to, that's another thing, like being professional nowadays is small compact simple yeah. you know my website in the beginning it had like 50 different pages you know like yeah. i had a whole bunch of different stuff different tabs different things different that i trimmed the fat down yeah i still have like five or six tabs but they're like specialized and focused you know yeah. and trim the fat you know i got rid of got rid of this got rid of that brought this in you know like yeah yeah and and that's that's a lot and like so that's also it also takes practice like you that's another thing that we'll talk about like being pro level you just told our listeners that you before you built your website you built a couple others to practice to work it out to figure it uh, figure it out that's no different than preparing for any professional gig right like this is one thing that for me is a personal conundrum because we are, we are base cafe with Holly and Dean, but 
if you wanted to listen to our podcast with a clear mind and just take everything that we're talking about with music as a metaphor, everything we're talking about is becoming a business professional. If, if everything that we're using music as, as an example of, if you viewed that as a metaphor, it could be for countless industries. It really is. You know, if you want to be a writer, you would just have to follow, you know, use this as a metaphor and follow these tactics, you know, instead of learning yeah. music theory, you would learn English composition and flow and, and be hip. Instead of knowing your scales, you, you would know your parts of speech. Like, I was I was a hairdresser for 18 years, um, colorist and, and cutting. And I mean, you have to know a lot of stuff. And you, not only that, but you have to know a lot about the body because hair grows from a person. And so if it's growing in a, a you know, in a bad way, you need to know why. Um, my son's mother is my best friend and she's been a stylist um, as long as I've known her since mm -hmm. high school, over 20 years. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I, I, I started in high school. And, um, and I'll tell you, that is a very easy thing where to figure out like life's problems. Mm -hmm. Me as a musician and her as... Um, a hairstylist? Uh, yeah, hairstylist. Sorry, <laughs> idiot. Uh, but her as a hairstylist, um, we get to use a lot of these examples as metaphors back and forth the same way I am as a teacher with dealing with my clients. She is with her clients. Like yeah. there's these same similar properties. Absolutely. And even now the salon industry is changing. Mm -hmm. The salons were the first things to close. Yeah. And right. And so there's opportunities and we, we, for, from the very beginning of all this stuff, I've been trying to talk with her about trying to take examples of what musicians have been doing and like pitching them to her as ideas that maybe, you know, serve a future customer. Right. You know, that it's, it, it's, it's all universal. If we really want to focus at, you know, it's, Absolutely. we're talking about an industry specific thing, but these key well, points. Yeah. Everyone started in the industry, not knowing anything about that industry and, and the people who rose to the top of the industry just went through all that stuff and figured out how to manipulate or ma maneuver through it the best way. Punk rock tours are like working in the mailroom, dude. <laughs> you know you're learning you're learning the ropes on easy well easy slash hard mode you know like smaller scale but smaller scale and increased difficulty at that rate but yeah. um so huge thing is your attitude i mm -hmm. myself have been guilty of not always having the most and greatest pma i'm mm -hmm. very passionate passionate mm -hmm. to a fault um it has currently served me more than it's hindered me. Mm -hmm. But just like all things, if you don't hone it in, it will hurt you more than it will help you. Absolutely. Uh -huh. I'm, I, I, I focus on being self-aware too. Like there's one thing of like just being an awesome person, but there's another yeah. thing about being a real person and understanding your faults and yeah. working on them, actively yeah. evolving yourself. Yeah, I've, I've seen some musicians that, went down the really bad road of you know drugs and alcohol and you know several years later they wake up and go oh, shit, I just pissed a few years away you know like i just I, I need to get it together and then they do and then they go off to do great things and um a lot of i mean we we've seen that in the rock and roll industry of 
course, time and time again, these big name artists who are sober now and, you know, it was a party back then. And yeah, it was a party back in the eighties, but nowadays you don't really have that same kind of thing going on in the industry. I'm the uh, Johnny Ramone of band responsibilities. I really am. And I try not to be to mm -hmm. my heart's content, but mm -hmm. I promise you that I, it's just, it's just something I can't stand. If someone isn't doing what they're supposed to do, mm -hmm. it's like you've personally like stepped on my yeah. pinky toe. Yeah. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, that's what it is. It's like, you just purposely, looked at me in the eyes and went well you're still at work you know even though it's a party and you are the party well, you're still people work. people don't understand for 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 someone like me and i'm sure you and any other le level of musician who's trying to make something out of themselves maybe not established right but the one who's trying to climb the ladder i'm trying to climb the ladder you know um depending on who you ask, you know, you, you were at different rungs on the ladder. If you ask me, I'm still down here, man. You know, like, but if you ask some of my friends, I'm like all the way up here, you know, like, but it's all, it's all about perspective. I'm just trying to climb this ladder of this, this thing that I love just like you. And with that, uh, just comes like this immense amount of responsibility. And I, I don't punch out. I've, yeah. I've, I've never, this is something that, I, like, if you're in one of my bands and you're watching this right now, I will actively admit this. Yeah. I don't know when to punch out. I picked up my guitar at 13, punched in, and I've been working overtime ever since. You know, that's right. That that makes me hard to deal with. That makes a, a weekend warrior or someone who's not, someone who punches out has a hard time working with me. Mm -hmm. um you know it is what it is yeah but for sure man like i don't know well i mean that's turn that switch better, on that's better than you know phoning it in <laughs> for sure for yeah. sure and because of that because of that you know other band members that i've been in bands with haven't gone on to expand things because they were phoning it in yeah you know i i it's it's rough right it's like this is a, a blessing and a curse is being able to work so hard that you make moves but also working so hard that you know you trip yeah you know you can run so fast yeah. or try to run so fast that you fall on your face yeah for me all that matters is that you get up and keep running and yeah. maybe try and run faster again you know learn. maybe fall learn. on your face again. <laughs> you'll learn yeah, and I think you put up a really good point. You know, we're all on our own journey and we're all going up this ladder of success, whatever, you know, taller ladder is, you know. Ladder, pyramid, vector. Yeah, whatever we're what trying want. to do. And we Black really, hole. <laughs> we just need to make sure that we're, we're, you know, being true to ourselves as a musician and being true to ourselves as a person. Um, and not trying to make it life harder on anybody else and eventually, in, practice. in practice and you'll get, you'll get there. And then when you get up there, you get help from people like Ace Bergman or, <laughs> you know, people who are like these or, or Hoogie. Yeah. And Hoogie. Right. Just and Hoogie. so, but we're going to get into that interview with Ace. Right. And mm -hmm. so one of the things uh, I'd like to touch on right before we jump into that is like making sure that you have the right gear, right? Like we spoke about this when you want to be a pro level bass player, you have to have semi pro gear. 
some mm-hmm. key points that Holly and I have talked about is like not only just having your base, right? Yeah. Maybe having two or three. Yeah. At least. Maybe if you're running three or four pedals and you have a power supply, mm-hmm. each one of those pedals also has a brand new nine volt battery in it in case the power supply doesn't work or reach the front of the stage, you can unplug the power supply and get through the set. Yeah. Right. Um, making sure that you have not only your two cables, mm-hmm. but two more in case those two go out. Yeah. Or uh, for my tours, I always, this is, this is a little, little hint to how chaotic Dean is. When I run a wireless, I always have a cable right next to my amp that is like, the end is sitting by the input jack. It's like routed. So like, if you're going to wrap it around your handle, you wrap it around your handle, you're going to put it under the head, whatever. It's sitting there right by the input jack. And then the other, the other part of the cable is like ready to just be grabbed, mm. plugged in and moved. Like, 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 yeah. a, like a, a less than two second change yeah. from wireless, you know, to, to wire. Um, Dumb stuff like that. Uh, it sucks that I brought it up before, but like some of the stuff you don't learn until you do it and then fall on your face, right? You don't learn that you need uh, at least a four by 10 or six by 10 or an eight by 10 for a gig until you show up with a combo amp and get laughed at. Yeah. Right. You know, you don't know that you need to have two bases until you're playing the biggest show of your life and you break a string and you in front of a record exec have to sit on stage and put a bass string on your own bass. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. maybe not win that battle of the bands. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't need, and, you don't know you need. That, but if you're putting a new string <laughs> on bass, one new string, those other three strings are going to sound a lot different. I've literally watched it happen with the band that was on it Century Media Records. Sucks more than anything. And that is one thing you don't know until you do it. Yeah. One of the reasons why I'm, I feel so indebted to the lovely people at Ibanez is that having these two twin bases, um, I got really lucky and they're sequential serial numbers. So yeah. even like they, all of my guitars, everything I, I do, it's all been like, I try and standardize it, right? I play all Ibanez six strings and all Ibanez seven strings because I got like a really good seven string that I really loved. And then I slowly started modeling everything after that. So like my six strings are basically like my seven string, but scaled down. That's what happened. And like the seven strings, I got a mess of them because I was in a band and I had two different tunings. And because of that, I had one tuning that we used, we played five songs on and another tuning we played two songs on mm-hmm. uh, or played, played with two songs. And so the two song tuning, drop C sharp on my six strings, um, I had two guitars. Mm -hmm. And the other tuning, um, drop B, Mm -hmm. I had three guitars. Are these metal bands? Uh, Yeah, this was, that was a black metal band. (laughs) But, but yeah, so like I would, I would be the dingus who showed up to the show that we sold four tickets to with five guitars. <laughs> but nothing's going to go wrong. Yeah, like, 
There, there was only one show. There was one show at Daryl Chemical Company. Um, it was Joe Vass's birthday, and it was on the very first tour where I was filling in on the last few dates of the tour. Um, but it was Joe Vass's birthday, and I got so drunk. I got so drunk. We got, dude, the bartender got us hammered. She kept pouring shots of Rumplemints. Like, Rumplemints is our drink, but we usually. Yeah, she was a bartender. <laughs> yeah, she was a great bartender. Um, we also didn't pay for a lot of those shots. But I'll tell you, that sucked to get that many shots for free before you go on uh, of rumplements. Like, like we could have done that many shots of Jack Daniels. We could have done that many shots of Jaeger and it would have been like, you know, a punk rock show. Yeah. We had so many shots of rumplements that it was a punk rock show. Like it was, we were here. Uh, um, I, I, I had my, uh, I had my guitar with me and I was just on that tour as a guitar tech, but I brought two guitars as a guitar tech on tour just to keep myself busy. Um, but the other guitar player brought three. And when he left, I had five guitars at my disposal. That one show, I got down to the fifth guitar because I broke so many strings. And I was the former guitar tech, now turned guitar player. So I just kept grabbing a guitar. Like I had to grab a guitar and put it back. Oh, grab a guitar jelly. and put it. What? Is this green jelly? Uh, it might as well have been. You know what I mean? But, uh, yeah, it was Darrow Chemical Company. That was on uh, The Return of the Touring Dead in 2013. Um, oh, I wish The Return of the Touring Dead would come back. Yeah, yeah, we did. We did. We came back for the, for the Natural Born Grillers tour next. But yeah, like, and so that's the thing. Like, you had to be, it, it's like this, man. Yeah, gotta have it. Gotta have it. So yeah, you learn all those little things. And then what's cool about a really awesome tech is they already know all those little things too. So your worlds kind of collide. And you know, when you're in a big, when you're a big tech and you're working for these big name people, you have your own box that goes with you too. Like you have your yeah. own uh, It's pretty cool. You have your tech own box. Rig. Yeah, yeah. It's not like these guys just come along with the, you know, the artists. Like they come along with their 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 own gear and their the own. The pro gear. guys show up with like a snap-on toolbox-looking thing that has, and you know, compartments for guitars and parts and strings and picks and lights and tuners and all the stuffs. Yeah, and and even if you're, um, you know, only if if you're teching and you're just a bass tech, I mean. It can be pretty laid back, which is great, but it can also be pretty hectic. So it's one of my favorite things. One of my favorite things about um, a show um, is setting up guitar world. Like guitar I like world? I like I like I like showing up to a venue. Yeah. And being like, all right, so where are we gonna put guitar world? Guitar. And like, yeah, guitar world. <laughs> and that's and on these tours, like. I've gotten so used to it from other bands that now, like, I I just do it. Like, I know that I I don't necessarily have the authority, but because I've been doing it on so many tours, I just, I stick with the audacity because I love how comfortable it makes me feel. But whenever we get into a venue, I don't care if I got to take a section and rope it off. Mm -hmm. I don't care if we take a section of the floor and rope it off. I really don't care. Like, I just always beg and plead with the club owners and let them know, like, listen, we want to give you the best show. So just give us this space to make sure that whoever the tech is has room to work. Mm -hmm. Because if you break a string, 
and the tech hat doesn't have room like if you have to get that guitar back like if you only have two guitars and you break a string on a guitar or a bass two two basses and you break a string that tech's going to replace that string and put it back in the rack yeah if that tech doesn't have room to put it back in the rack to get to the rack mm -hmm. to set up his like station you yeah. know we're talking like you know club yeah. shows right yeah he's gotta have yeah he's gotta have he's gotta have his spot and you know it it sucks you know it sucks to sometimes do that you know and when you have like a club owner too like i got yelled at by a canadian club owner who lost their shit on me because i asked someone if i could set up guitar world there they're like yeah and she came over and flipped it you know yeah. like but it's i think that stuff's really important you know like and that comes from practice. I didn't know what Guitar World was until I started like touring with pro level techs. And they were like, nah, this, this right here. See this, this pink tape, my buddy drew stage crew. Yeah. Like, see this pink tape. Guitar world. This is my world over <laughs> yeah. there. That's your world. Don't come in my world. Like, like he, he will, he will scream at people. Well, it, yeah, it's true. You have to have your room. And, and when you are backstage, you see those lines of tape, all the gaff tape and everything. Everybody has their little spot. Guitar um, techs or techs are a lot like bass players, right? They get no respect. So it's like they're just as much of an important part of the show as every other member. But yeah. like, you know, they have to they, they have to fight for their rights, unfortunately, in some of these smaller venues, right? My favorite um, thing that uh takumi who's been on tour with prince and uh now he's gavin's tech um he uh he's he has this trash can i hope i don't i hope nobody nobody will catch on okay so he has this trash can and he labels it not a trash can and it's an act it's actually a trash can but it's only his trash can right and at the end of the show he takes this trash and he puts it up and then he fills a trash can full of other stuff that he needs you know but it's like kind of part of this <laughs> i thought it was just really funny yeah you know it's sometimes you have to do that too <laughs> you learn tricks along the way like you know there are you do learn sometimes that if you put like a sign that says no drinks on something it's not gonna that you leave and you come back and there's a goddamn ring on it on that piece of paper or on that amp or there's uh -huh. a goddamn ring from someone who put their drink down and then like sat there smoked a cigarette and then walked away or something like without without fail like yeah. that oh that happens every time right like i have i have all these no drinks things and i oh dude i'll smack them off <laughs> it doesn't okay. even matter what kind of stage you're on unless it has barricades too if your if your stage doesn't have barricades you can almost guarantee you there's going to be a drink on that stage dude festivals uh, i don't care you know, how many you know how many people have credentials at a festival <laughs> more people than the bands in the crew because it's every band every crew and every band's friends right. Yeah. And they're, you know, like, and every band's manager and every band's this and every band's girlfriend and every band's There's wife. All and, these people backstage. Yeah, and every, every band's husband, you know, like, it doesn't matter. There's just, yeah. you know, every, when you watch, when you watch corn at a, at a show, man, look at how many people are on the side of the stage, mm -hmm. dude. Look at how many people are on Sometimes the side. They have double deckers to the sides of the stages because there's so many people that can yeah. have access to go and watch. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, so uh, so Ace 
his last show was I think his first show that he ever toured with was like a punk metal band you know they toured all over the place and then his last big tour he did was with Slash and so Slash plays you know pretty big venues uh, a lot of house of blues you know those have big stages and uh, festivals and things like that and uh, but Ace has seen it all he's he uh, started out as a um a, he lived in a punk rock house and he had this metal show in LA and then he's uh, he was a guitar player you know and this metal band and then he started working for you know friends of his and then all of a sudden got on tours and then just toured with some of the biggest people so um, I've actually been able to um, when he he lives in Vegas now he lived in LA for a long time and every time I come to LA those two are interchangeable for crew workers I got news for you like every good guitar tech either lives in LA or Vegas or if he lived in Vegas he lives in LA and if he lived in LA now he lives in Vegas like it's because it, they're both great hubs yeah. Matt you know, Storm's, uh, drum tech is out there you, dude when you're a good tech and you're working a lot when you come home you want it to be somewhere that's you know we can yeah. do things. Yeah, exactly. No, no one wants to be home from tour in December and be in New York City. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody, yeah. you know, they'd rather be in Vegas or in Nashville or in LA. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but when he lived here, he worked a lot at, at Mates. Uh, so, but so did he, I? I assume that somewhere in his career, he definitely had gigs where he worked for tons of different bands, right? Like. One of the things when you're coming up and like as different techs too. He was a guitar tech. He's been a bass tech. He was a drum tech one time. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes you got to fill the shoes, man. You know, like yeah. I've had I've had guitar techs and drum techs that don't know how to play guitar or drums. Mm -hmm. It is what it is. Exactly. Um, but to be a professional, you just have to do things. You have to do mm -hmm. lots of things. You have to do as many things. You have to always say yes. Um, a huge thing that I stand by is the best ability is availability, right? Just <laughs> yes. Say yes to the gig, take the gig. You have to get all these things before this dude could be slash guitar tech. I guarantee you, he had to do guitar teching gigs in like air conditioned clubs and then 130 degree festivals on the stage. And mm -hmm. then like studio sessions and setting stuff, stuff up. You have to cover so many different bases. Yeah. Before you can get that pro gig, because if, if you get hired by Slash, you should got to go to a festival in Germany and you don't know what to do to make <laughs> that guitar not have a neck that looks like this. <laughs> you know, you're not going to get that call again. And some other dude from some other band is going to come over and save the day and get a double payday. Yeah. No, he, he did mention a lot about like, the, you know, there's bands that have like a, uh, that are, there are these techs are kind of grandfathered into these jobs. And you know, there are a lot of people that, like Al from Clutch, he's been with them since like, I don't know, probably day one. You become <laughs> I, a silent member of the band. Like, <laughs> you're the silent member of the band. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, what's great about Ace's experience is that, you know, he, he becomes really good friends with his people. So Slash is his buddy, you know, and he's told me funny stories about him and Slash before, you know, and it's just so cool that he gets to, to do that. But you know, it's really awesome about, um, you know, knowing that, okay, so here he hangs out with the best guitar player, you know, that everybody would probably say, you know, everybody knows Slash, right? So 
he still is not going to pick up Slash's guitar and Slash's uh, room and on Slash's rig and sound like Slash. You know, it's yeah, it's not not, not going to happen. You can tr- <laughs> you can try damn hard. You know, like a good tech, a good tech will uh-huh. figure out one or two riff techniques where they can emulate something mm-hmm. you know it's usually a chug or a strum yeah or a chord mm-hmm. that they can do like that it's usually one or two target things like drum techs too when you're a bass tech slash drum tech there's different ways to hit the drum you have to learn this is a big thing on my on my tours the, the techs get their asses uh ripped over this during sound check when you're when you're teching for and doing sound check on the drums, you better be hitting the drums like the drummer. Yeah. Exactly. If the drummer's a hard hitter, you have to hit it hard. If the drummer's a soft hitter, you have to hit it soft. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah, sure. it, it's like a vocalist going, check, yeah. check, check. And then going and singing like Bruce Dickinson. Yeah, this doesn't happen. It, 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 that's not like that's where again the professionalism comes in. Yeah. The reason for the check is, to, is for the levels, but um, yeah, and you know, some techs take over different jobs depending on the the uh, you know the band they're working for. I know I know some really big bands that tour with just one tech, and the guy does everything. He does all the teching and front of house, um, front of house and lights. You know, it's just it's all encompassing, and I think and that's dude, and that you can only do again with major experience when you have to do something as crazy as front of house and stage tech understand that in the moment of an emergency you cannot get to the stage okay and so like in in those situations like you know we lost the tech on a tour um he had to go home or whatever and we were waiting a couple days for one to come in and we didn't have a tech so i picked up the reins i was playing bass i picked up the reins we had a system where when nita had to switch out her guitar she would usually she used to just take her guitar off, give it to the tech, but she'd go up to the mic, he would switch out guitars because we changed tunings, switch out guitars because like it was the one strap with the wireless, so it was just easier to switch the strap, or you know what I mean? <clears throat> and uh and I think of the first tour, she only had the one pack, she didn't have two packs. Um in that case, I was on the side of the stage, so I would set up the guitars, I would tune the guitars, I would have everything ready to go. She would walk over, hand it to me, go and talk to the crowd. I would go and switch it real quick and hand it right back to her. Like mm-hmm. in that case, you know, where our only other crew member is all the way over there. Yeah. You mm-hmm. have to have a foolproof system and, mm-hmm. and you have to run that. Like you have to let people know. Yeah. You know, yeah. we've, uh, we've had some interesting uh, times on stage with Zeparello where um, Clem's drum set would mess up. Uh, one time we did the, um, the how does the drum set mess up? Well, like she can kick through the kick drum. Oh yeah. Like breaking a head. Yeah. Breaking a head or, or a snare or something. It's just to change it out. The uh, pro so drummers, have, you know what they have guys, they have, they have their reaching snare right there because the, the hard hitters, they yeah. know what happens. Yeah. They know and what she, happens. She has an extra snare usually, but when the kick, uh, goes through, you have to, well, you either have to turn it around or you have, if you don't have, if you don't have an oh, extra you don't have head. head, you have to turn it around. But, uh, and that's a whole, that's what we had to do one time. <laughs> uh, but oh, yeah. I wouldn't like, have even thought of that. Yeah. It's just, 
it's it was interesting right um most drummers <laughs> will at least try to like at least hit the floor tom do something you know what i mean like yeah 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 so it was interesting but then and and what we do is the girls and i we started playing blues and we just did the kick drum blues <laughs> Dude, any any time that that's amazing that's, that's exactly what you do like nita we ran a backing track and like um where we had you know some of the others symphonia stuff going on and like sound clips and stuff um and like all of our in-between song mm -hmm. like sounds right yeah. um if there was ever an issue with the backing track like in our nita strauss show the sound never stopped unless nita was talking to the crowd yeah there was even a couple times when there was like sounds going and she would talk and whatever whatever but if something happened with the laptop and she's the one that knew how to fix it, right? Because she's the one who built the session. Yeah. Cat would play. Yeah. Some piano parts. Mm -hmm. Johnny might add in with guitar. Yeah. If there was times when there was times when they were having an issue with uh, Josh's drum set or whatever, or there was some sort of a problem. I, I forget what it was, but it was happening like often and it wasn't the computer. Um, Nita and Kat would do an impromptu jam. Yeah. They're yeah. just going to, they're going to jam. They're going to pull out the time and then the crew goes to work and then we're good to go. Boom. Back. You know, like that takes practice. That takes, that takes falling on your face Yeah. to know what to do in those scenarios. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I, so let's hear what, Ace has what you to. and ace got to catch up about awesome take it away this is base cafe so we uh we drink while we <laughs> while we talk i got a new a, a new cup oh there you go yeah drink that <laughs> i got a new cup somebody uh one of our fans gave us this uh Oh, nice. So what are you the, drinking? It's got the, I don't want to tip it over, but it's got the. Yeah, it's don't, like, don't pour it out. <laughs> yeah, it's put water all over. Um, so you are, are you still making your own, uh, making your guitar amps? Um, I've made two, I think now. That was a couple of years ago. I had a lot of fun with it and I started, you know, going down that rabbit hole. Yeah. And then I went on tour. Yeah. And then uh, I moved and packed up all my amp stuff. And then, you know, I didn't unpack it for about two and a half years. And uh, I could, you know, I'm not a great amp designer. It was more of a hobby thing. And I'm really happy with the amps I've made. And I love them. Uh, but I would need a real amp designer to go through my designs and you know be like oh this is great or you're gonna hurt yourself i'm you know i'm surprised you didn't hurt yourself doing this or yeah you know so that being said have you seen any big name artists use some really weird gear before on the road have you like uh, that you can recall i mean the, ideally you want to use stuff you know if I have my choice, mm -hmm. I would use this stuff that I could get easily and uh, accessibly because you need to find parts for things on the road. You know, if you're 
touring with a Mellotron or something like that and it breaks in Topeka, you know, you're you're screwed if that's what your your show's hinging on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Go ahead. So I mean, like artists will buy weird things, do weird things, you know, have weird toys or tools or you know aerosmith steven tyler plays you know he has shakers that come out on stage for sweet emotion and stuff like that yeah and you got to have you know your shakers um so yeah there's there's some weird things i mean it's all kind of turns into oatmeal in my brain you know like <laughs> what all i've seen and and all that I, I, i've been doing it so long and uh and when you're working, everything comes at you so fast and you're in a new city every day. It's like you see something that you think you'll never forget on Tuesday and then Wednesday, you know, you're in waiting for the Chinese police to let you go. So uh, it, it's a weird life. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I had this conversation a long time ago because I did have an amp builder who wanted to finally build a bass amp and he wanted me to be the first kind of prototype my he wanted to dial in my sound for the first kind of prototype and um i had a conversation with uh bob zilla from damage plan about uh -huh. this and he said well the guy was going to make me an amp too but when you go out on the road how are you going to get somebody to fix it and how are you going to keep that tone if it blows up you know yeah so it's yeah it's kind of like it's probably why you see a lot of big artists with bigger name brands, well-named brands. Yeah. The, the, you know, the product support is definitely, and like I deal with it even with like big name artists, you know, they'll find like a pedal or something that they want and they'll be like, Hey, I need 10 of these. And I'll be like, Hey, I'd like to get 10 of these. And the guy's like, I've only made four of them. I said, no, <laughs> I need 10 of these and I need them all over the world or I can't use them. You know, I can't, you know, you need to have your show that you rely on needs to be ready to happen anywhere. You know, mm -hmm. you gotta be able to like, that's why I like, I mean, Marshall's fenders, Les Paul's Stratocasters. Yeah. Yeah. I can get a, you know, I, I've got a Marshall sent to me in the middle of the Indian ocean before. <laughs> you know, I can't do that with, you know, just a boutique brand. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. So if you're, let's say you're wanting to, um, or you have a, a tour where you don't have a lot of backup, like you don't have any, I don't know, you don't really, you really go through tours that are like, like super professional. So a lot of times, but, but things I guess go wrong. Um, and do you run into problems where you just have to try and find the best solution? Oh yeah. And I mean, it, and I, I do smaller tours as well. You know, sometimes we'll, I mean, I, I, I tend to work with big name artists, but we'll do weird stuff where like, you know, especially one-offs where you throw some guitars on a plane and you call ahead and tell them what you expect to have. Yeah. And then you get there and you find out that they were just, you know, telling you what you wanted to hear. <laughs> yeah. That happens, I guess, with, most tours <laughs> or fly-in dates for sure fly-in dates because you do yeah. those too and i think those are probably where your biggest problems would be yeah and i mean you just you make it happen and you know you 
you have to be dynamic. You have to think on your feet. You have to know what'll work is what in a pinch. You have to like, you know, make what you did to change be as transparent as possible. You know, if you can't find the kind of, you know, if you can't find a chorus, find a flanger and turn it way the hell down and pretend like it's a chorus, you know, or something like, uh, you know, make it work, get something, something that sounds good enough and pre, you know, you're not really faking it, but you're, you do what you got to do to get a show to happen. I mean, on a big tour like Guns N' Roses, we carried, you know, 60 people and I like, I had 20 something guitars and uh, eight or 10, 12 amps. I don't remember. Um, but yeah. And I, I like to carry as much stuff as I could feasibly get away with spare wise, but you know, sometimes you're flying, you know, you have to leave your A rig in Europe and your B rigs in a shipping container and you get booked to do a show a third place. So you put, you cobble together whatever you have because somebody's willing to pay a lot of money to see you in Buenos Aires tomorrow. So you make it happen. Yeah. Um, is there a common um, string company that you see mainly out there, or there's a couple of them, or just mainly just the big ones, like so, something that kind of pops out, like like uh, super common strings? Because we don't get to see that. Like we we would be able to like go on interviews and and listen to like what Duff, you know, maybe Duff is endorsed with this company or so and so is endorsed with this company or whatever. But like, what do you see mainly out there? Um, I mean, people pet play their endorsements. Like if somebody says they're endorsed, you know, endorsing a certain brand, they'll almost certainly be playing that. Um, sometimes we'll get prototype strings, but you know, like slash has his new signature string set, which is I'm sure the same strings that he's using on stage. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And, and like you said, it's I, mostly, I see the big manufacturers, Dunlop, Diodario, Ernie Ball, uh, with Slash were Ernie Ball, of course. Dean Markley, um, you know those those are the main ones. And then people will try boutique strings. You'll see people will be like, "Hey, some guy gave me these strings to check out, and I really like them, or I'll put them on this guitar because, you know." And we've done that with Slash. We did a uh, like the Cobalt strings were brighter than the strings we would, we were using at the time. So we put them on a couple of darker sounding guitars to kind of, you know, balance them out. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, and it, you do see smaller brands just because people like to wind their own strings, I guess, or start their own string company. Mm -hmm. So they're out there, you know, same yeah. like smaller guitars. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've had conversations with some people because I use DR strings and they're, you know, yeah. uh, hand handmade strings. And I've had conversations with people, especially like at NAMM or just anywhere really about other string companies that aren't hand wound. And do you find a difference? Like, do you do you do you know of anybody that's ever said anything about a difference? Um, I'm not sure how they hand wind their DR strings. The last DR artist I worked with would have been Demu Borgir in like 2009. Um, I, I remember I liked their strings. I think I still have some packs from back then. Um, 
but as far as their hand winding process, I've actually, I've actually never, I hate to say this, but I've, I've visited every other manufacturer. I've never been to a string manufacturer to see how strings are actually made. I probably shouldn't cop to that. I should probably go right now. Yeah. Um, and I've been meaning to, but you know, I, strings is, you know, like I've been to amp and guitar manufacturers because I reverse engineer guitars and amps strings are, you know, I've never had to, fix the string you just put a new one on you know or i've never had to build us you know i've built guitars and amps and pickups and pedals but i've never hand wound strings now do you Seems like someone else could do that for me now do you find a difference between some of the um older bases the more classic rock kind of bases that you've you've played or you've uh, worked for versus some of the newer sounding like music do you think that they have um kind of a difference in like do they change their strings uh often or not or do they um do they use more like uh i guess the equipment do, do, do some of the newer bases use a lot more um, effects and dial in a little bit different like what do you what do you see out there a lot the thing I see is that like um, they're really like all the old styles you might call it and old techniques and stuff. That's all still alive. I mean, there's people who play uh, both young and old, you know, that, that uh, will replicate and duplicate. I mean, there's people still playing Vivaldi's music that was written 400 years ago. Yeah. Um, you know, so there's people still, using pretty much you know still rubbing chicken grease on their bass strings and still you know doing yeah. all that old witchcraft so they sound like jack bruce yeah um and then there's people who are you know trying to push the envelope so to speak you know and adding more strings to their bass and using a lot of effect like thundercat you know he sounds like like steve Vai, you know he's like exploring all this new territory mm -hmm. So I think, I think everything that has been done is being done. And I think there's people looking for new things to do. And I think that's great. So, you know, if you want, like there, there's people who are learning how to play stand up bass, like they're learning how to, you know, play sing, sing, sing or something yeah. like, like it's the forties. And then there's people who are buy the latest toy and, take it apart and hook it up to the other latest toy to see what kind of super toy they can make you know like all bets are off so and like especially with you know now that people are playing in the digital realm you know you can manipulate sound all sorts of ways yeah you can do it pretty much anything now like you don't even really need a tape machine unless you just want to be that nostalgic with it right yeah unless you want a tape machine I mean, they're, they're, they're getting, I mean, a lot of people tried to stick around with tape technology. I know Slash did. And I know even when I got into, you know, re recording at the most basic levels in like 2001 or 2002, around there, you know, people had tape machines, um, but they're getting rarer and rarer. They really are like the studers and stuff, and they're getting more expensive yeah you know it it's like riding a horse to work it's cool <laughs> it's but, cool but... 
everyone else is getting to work faster than you are. <laughs> <laughs> so true. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, we talked a lot about analog and digital uh, recording in one of our shows before, and um, I think we were talking about how uh, I don't. Were you on the this? Were you with Slash when he's doing the Snake Pit stuff? Recording? No, that was that was before my time. Well, I was in high school. Let's see. Maybe no. Maybe it was just. I don't know what it was, but it was maybe one of his last records that he did all tape with. Yeah. No. He did. Uh, he did everything up until I think the last one was two tape. Okay, that's what. I but it's also it's also a combination of tape and Pro Tools. Mm, yeah. Like they record the Pro to to tape and then dump it all in the Pro. You know, they're not sitting there with razor blades splicing tape together. Yeah. You know? Do they use clasp? clasp um, clasp that's um that's a pro it's kind of it's a way to uh, go from uh oh, so it'd be like how you i i have no idea what like audio engineers are like <laughs> okay well I'll have like to pro gamers you know they, they sit at a computer and they do that stuff so fast and silently and they're so good at their job i you know i have no idea what those guys are doing okay yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I can work, I can make demos and work pro tools and all that, but it's like, you know, I can change my oil, but I don't sit there and, you know, these guys are race car drivers, you know? Yeah. And that's interesting. You bring that up because it's like, there are so many big jobs in uh, professional musician, you know, touring and things like that. And, you know, your job is so important, but it's your job. You don't really have a whole lot of other jobs. And, uh, you know, if you go record at a, you know, at a uh, recording studio, you have an engineer and then he might have somebody that, uh, you know, sets up mics or whatever. But um, your job is working with the artist directly and making sure that they have everything they need on stage. And so that's, um, but you, you know so much about, all of it just from working with live, you know, the live aspect of it. I, um, I know enough about other people's jobs to know when they're not doing their job <laughs> and to know when they're good at their job. Like I, I have no idea how to do monitors, but I know a good monitor guy when I see one. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's like, you know, I, and then, uh, but there are people who do both. There's guitar techs that get into sound. There's guitar techs that do i've worked as a drum tech for one tour uh i didn't i don't know how to play drums but the band i was working for i was with fear factory and they wanted a drum tech for gene hoagland to do some makeup dates so they didn't have the budget for both a guitar tech and a drum tech because it was like i don't know a week and a half of makeup so they're just like hey why don't you be gene's drum tech instead of our guitar tech yeah and i said and I, and you know gene knew me and he knew i i was like look i'm if you're okay with this i'm okay with this and he showed me how to set up his drum set so i did what he showed me and I, I you know on guns and roses and with slash we've got imy james who's you know an amazing drum tech and then you know before imy we had gump who was neil Peart's drum tech so i well i calling myself a drum tech in that circle <laughs> I, I collected a check as a drummer or a drum tech, but it's like, yeah. you know, when people ask me, are you a guitar player? And, you know, when you're standing in a room with Slash and Steve Stevens, you don't say yes. <laughs> you're, like, you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> 
That's awesome. But you do get to go up there and actually uh, play in front of all these people before Slash or whoever you're teching for gets up there and plays, which is kind of cool. <laughs> I get I get my few seconds of uh, fame in the PA sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty fun, though. And so as a – do you um, – so if you're a base tech and you're up there, um, isn't that much more fun because there's so much – like so low end low end um stages aren't really low end heavy some like, of them are oh my god <laughs> ideally they're not uh, yeah typically yours aren't your your you know your yeah are out there. Our, our low ends usually in the house yeah. i like checking bass um i have a few songs that like i'll play cryptopsies phobophile or firefaces or sorry high on fire fireface which nobody recognizes mm -hmm. but uh yeah I, like to me um and then you know when you're up there checking like sometimes if everything goes good and you see tony iomi in the crowd you'll play something off the new sabbath album as a nod <laughs> other times you're making sure everything's working you're just pedaling the e-string because you your artist is walking towards you and you guys got going you good we're on in 30 you know you're like yeah. uh, okay we're good <laughs> so yeah and then sometimes, you know, like you'll play something pertinent to where you are as a joke. I don't know. <laughs> I can't think of any examples, but I once played the national anthem at a NASCAR game because I didn't know I was in the PA. <laughs> the whole national anthem or just the first part? I was, I mean, I, I was with a band and we were, they were on fractals. So I was trying out the fractal and I had my in-ears in and I thought only I could hear me playing. Yeah. and our monitor guy or sound guy or whoever decided to bring me up in the mix so yeah. i was playing guitar do i thought myself and guys were stopping and taking their hats off and i was like <laughs> shit <laughs> so that's one song you can't mess up <laughs> yeah yeah so that's like a one-off show uh you mentioned fractal which uh we we actually talk a lot about um that in bass cafe because that's what dean travels with when he travels with nita strauss Mm -hmm. it's really easy so what got you into um being um a tech i know you were a guitar player and then well i was a guitar i don't know i was a tv show host for a minute okay. i had a death metal tv show uh right after i got out of the marines with some friends and i knew i wanted to stay in the music business but i also you know i saw pretty quick that you know, even the top tier death metal bands is not really, it's now knowing them 20 years later, I see how they've made a career of it. Mm -hmm. But at the time, you know, I thought that if you're playing guitar and napalm death at 25 and you leave when you're 35, what do you do then? You know? Yeah. And I've always liked working with tools uh, and taking things apart and fixing them. You know, I've been woodworking a lot since since the downtime and I've made my own guitars, amps, pedals, furniture. Uh, I fixed my own car and house and all that. Yeah. Um, so I've always liked being handy. Um, you know, and it, and it feel, there is a job security kind of that goes with being a guitar tech, like as opposed to being a guitar player, uh, you know, 
I want bands that I'm working for to do well. I want shows to sell out. I want the band to be successful. I want the single to take off. But, you know, if this band I'm working for this week doesn't take off, I can get a band with a job with another band next week. And that's not so much an issue now. But, you know, when I was starting off, you know, you work with a band and because when you're a beginner guitar tech, you work kind of with beginner bands and you hope you're working with one that's going to get big because they promise you like, oh, you know, we're going to get on the big tour and we're going to bring you along. And it does happen. But, you know, you're you're kind of like married to the success of someone else, you know. Um, so there's that degree of security in being a guitar tech. And, uh, and like, and as a guitar, you know, as a guitar player and as a guitar tech, I've definitely seen a lot more of the world and lived, you know, more of the rock and roll life, I guess you could say mm -hmm. as a guitar tech than I think I would have been able to as a guitar player. Um, you know, I love playing guitar and I loved being in a band. When I had my band, it was one of the greatest times of my life and the best tours I ever did. And I'd love to do it again. But I mean, playing in a grindcore band would never have, you know, gotten me shark diving in Africa with the guy from Collective Soul. You know, it never would have put me in private jets. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't have seen as much of the world as I've been able to and you know get to experience what i have by being you know attached to these these legacy guys you know that that do live like royalty really so that that's the trade off i'm not famous but i get to live like i am <laughs> um, okay so i wanted to talk a little bit about um some of the bases that you've worked with um we talk a lot about tone and change like you know, changing your strings is a big part of your tone, obviously. Some of these big guys, do they change their strings often as bass players? Do they change their string often? Because I know guitar players do, but um, what do you see out there a lot? Usually, I mean, on a big tour, you kind of have to, or they'll break. Mm -hmm. uh, my rule of thumb usually is I'll change guitar strings, depending on the artist and the tour and stuff, but any kind of like main guitar, I'll change strings every show. What about um, a bass? I'll usually go two or three shows. Three shows is usually, you know, my limit. Mm -hmm. um, I can do a fourth show on, a, on bass strings. Usually. I mean, and also some guys sweat more than others, you know, stuff like that. Sometimes you're doing like, if you're doing, cold shows your bass strings are going to last longer than if you're doing european festivals where you're playing it on a sweaty stage with sand and dust and everything mm -hmm. um and if you leave them on for you know if you fly far you change your string so you always default to changing your strings when in doubt yeah but bass strings i mean they they're harder to stretch for one thing i can do it but if I change, you know, if I have to stretch five sets of bass strings in a row, I'm, you know, my hands are, it's yeah, a lot. It's a lot. Um, so yeah, you usually I'll do bass strings every two or three shows. Um, and I don't, I, I 
can't think of any artists that have complained much about that. I mean, there's some guy like Will Romer from Mortician, probably not a whole lot of Mortician fans on your channel, but he famously like didn't change his bass strings for, I don't know, it's, it was one of those urban legends at the time, but you know, like 20 years or ever. Or, I mean, he's that band's been around 30 some odd years now. I don't think he has 30 year old bass strings he's been touring on. That'd be pretty incredible, but yeah. I don't yeah, some people don't. Uh, no? I, yeah, well, I use flat wounds, and I like that tone. Yeah, see, tonally with flat wounds, you know, that's you're looking for a rounder tone. So people that want to, if you want to stand out in the mix, you change your strings more. Yeah. Um, some people don't like the sound of new bass strings. I personally think they sound best their second show. Yeah, I don't like the brand new sound of them at all. Yeah. But I mean, like, guitar strings are the opposite all these guitars behind me will sound 20 percent better if i put brand new strings on them right it, because those most of those strings have been on there several months and so it, you does, know, that, does that automatically make a bass tech have an easier job than a guitar tech <laughs> i would say usually being a bass tech is easier than being a guitar tech um <laughs> usually bass players don't have as many tunings uh, -huh. uh you know so usually you'll get guys that'll play the whole show on one or two basses versus you know guitar players will have their slide guitar and their drop d guitar and their open g guitar or their guitar with single coils and their guitar with this and that and then they have two of every one of those guitars you have to have yeah i mean as a bass player you should have two of everything too Another thing with basses, though, is bass outputs like guitars have, you know, each guitar is a little bit different output, but their range is usually a lot smaller than with a bass. Uh -huh. Like if if you uh, when I was working with Glenn Campbell years ago, our bass player for one gig had two basses. One of them was like an old. God, I'll probably get this wrong, but it was a it was a Gretsch or a Rickenbacker or something like that, like you know, with real soft passive pickups. And his other bass had active pickups. Yeah. And so when you you know you unplug one bass and you plug in the other, your signal's 30 yeah. dB higher. And with a you know guitar amps compress naturally, so um, or most do. So that jump you might get more distortion, but you're not gonna like get the same. You know, it, if if your sound guy is getting a clean signal off your bass and all of a sudden the next song, your bass is 30 dB higher, you're clipping everything, mm -hmm. you know, and he's you just thrown off his entire game and his entire gain structures and all of his gates. And so, um, you know, you really want to match your bases if you're going to be swapping them yeah, or let the sound guy know what's going to happen. And. Yeah, and then like with bass, since you're not usually playing big chords, you know, where you're going to, you know, you don't, you could probably play the same song, you know, if a guitar player wants to be in G for a song, you could probably play the same bass. Yeah, um, I, stuff never, like that. I never switch my, my bass. Yeah. Cinderella. I have the same bass for the whole show um, because I can play all the songs on exactly the <laughs> same tuning <laughs> and basses you know they don't tend to go out of tune as easily as guitars you're not bending strings as much uh you know once they're in tune they tend to stay there 
and they're easier to like you know you step on your base and just tune it up a little bit when yeah. you're when you're out um so yeah base teching and base rigs do tend to be simpler i have had bass players not naming any names but you know like one bass player i worked for got to take a solo in the show mm -hmm. so then he decided he needed to have a pedal board oh. for his solo and have a loop station in there and cool. so we had this whole pedal board just for his you know 60 second bass solo and it made you know and it wasn't hard and it was fun and i built him a pedal board but you know usually bass players don't do that right. like uh you know Todd Kearns' bass rig is literally the wireless into a tuner at his feet where he can walk backwards. I set it up for him that way. It was Frank Bellow did that with Anthrax. Yeah. Uh, and I just sort of took that trick where you have like a tuner in line just right next to the drum riser. So yeah. if you just sound, you just want to check all of your singers saying something between songs, you just go check it out and then you're ready to go. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, bass rigs are. That's what user, I do. I'm straight into the straight into the tuner and I don't need yeah. <laughs> Bass is usually pretty hands off. You usually don't have a lot of cues, you know, like the guitar players a lot of times I'll run the effects. Mm -hmm. I can't think of any bass player. I mean, I'm sure it's happened just because I'd be more surprised it hasn't. But I can't really think of any time I've been like running effects for a bass player. Some will have like a little chorus here and there, mm -hmm. like on a little signature intro part or something. But yeah. most basses, you Don't know, eat it, do they? Yeah, <laughs> real meat and potatoes, you know. Yeah. Um, so you've worked with a lot of different types of of players. I mean, Duff is straight up punk, you know, he's with a pick and he's like straight, you know, I'm, have you bass tech for Duff before or not really? I've actually yeah. guitar teched for Duff. You guitar he did, he plays acoustic sometimes, right? Yeah. Well, he did a, um, he wrote, he's written two books and for the second book, how to be a man, he did a single yeah, you were there. Yeah, and so he had me come into this. It was just him. It was like me, him, and Izzy Stradlin in the studio, okay. and uh, and the drummer from Stone Sour. Nice. And like it was like the four of us and the engineer. So that was cool. That was the only time I've ever actually got to hang out with Izzy Stradlin. Thank oh. you, Duff. I I absolutely love Duff. When I say I could work with any bass player, and I say Duff, yeah, it's mostly because of Duff. It's yeah. like I love working for Todd Kearns, yeah. not because of necessarily because of his rig or all that is because I love Todd Kearns. He's one of my. Yeah, he's, he's a good friend of mine, you know. Yeah, yeah we're going to on the show for sure. And that's a big part of, you know, how easy the job is, is how well you get along with the person. Yeah. 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 And you've been uh, the last tour that I saw you on was with Bush. Mm -hmm. um, I get along with Gavin. Great. Yeah, those guys are really nice. I want to get Corey on here for sure. Uh, I've talked to him a couple of times about. Sure. Yeah, yeah he's cool. Yeah, um, Corey brought his yeah his studio where he does his own recording. Yeah, it's right next uh, to Flash's locker, right? <laughs> not only is it right next door, but it we used to it used to be Mike Klink's studio, oh, not nice. for not in the Guns days, but he had like his own little studio set up in there, and we recorded the demos for world on fire in that room and then Corey moved in oh, cool. and then i became friends with Corey, and then i got offered the 
gig. And so I knocked on the door and I said, I'm going to see you more this summer. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. All those guys are really cool. Um, yeah. in, uh, does Corey change his bass strings every, every show? Corey's, uh, Corey shares a tech with the drummer. So oh, they, really? yeah, Bush has a drum and bass tech. Okay. Um, and I think he gets his strings changed about every two or three shows as, you know, we yeah. make sure that happens. Cool. And like I, because his stuff's on my side of the stage, I help troubleshoot yeah. when I'm, when I'm on the Bush tour, I'm not always on the Bush tour. Yeah. Uh, you know, I went back to Slash and I think Brian Diaz came in. Mm -hmm. I think he's still there. Great tech. Um, so yeah, and I, he's probably taking care of Corey on the side, you know, it's not really your job, but drum techs set it up and say, Hey, it's not working, bro. Like, yeah. Probably why. <laughs> yeah, you gotta have some uh, <laughs> well, Awesome. And when you did the Kings of Chaos stuff with Glenn Hughes, that that was he had a, a few pedals because you you ended up um, giving me one of the pedals he was. Using. Yeah, he. I built him a pedal board. I think that was for California Breed. He used that pedal board. Okay. Um. So it wasn't the Kings of Chaos. It was. He might have had one for that. I'm trying to remember. He was on, I think he was on the, God, this was a long time ago and only a couple of shows. I think he was on the other side of the stage when he played bass. Okay. I, I think he played bass from stage right. And I took care of Africa was the big one that he went on. And on Africa, he was stage right, him and Duff and Gilby. And I was stage left with Slash and... God, who else was on that? Oh my God, I'm forgetting a name. One of my best friends. I love the guy to pieces. Oh no. Yeah. I can edit it out. <laughs> who are you thinking of? Dave Kushner. I was here with Dave Kushner. Jesus, don't tell Dave. I'll edit it out, don't worry. Yeah, that was the Dave Kushner. <laughs> and then Steve Stevens came with us we did south america with steve stevens okay i think that sounds right steve stevens is great too i love working for him he's like his gear mm -hmm. he's one of the easiest people to work for just because he's such a gear nut himself mm -hmm. that his gear shows up like immaculate <laughs> like he, he changed his own strings and intonated his own <laughs> like we were at mates one time and i was you know supposed to be taking care of him and he uh -huh. goes and he opens his pedal board up and the knob falls off one of his pedals and he goes hey Ace, do you have a two millimeter allen wrench i could borrow i'm like dude i'm your tech <laughs> like, yes i have that wrench but i mean you, you he, he knew exactly what size wrench he needed to fix his own gear so yeah he's that kind of player so I, and he's super nice and his you know his wife's great he's just a great great vibe great guy but and great really cool instruments and yeah. You know, he gets these custom Friedman pink amps made for him. Yeah. Working with Steve Stevens is always a treat. Cool. Um, one more question before we go. I, so when you are working for a new artist, uh, let's say bassist, because this is a bass thing. Um, mm -hmm. When you go to maybe like dial in their, their sound or you dial in, you know, something that you know, whatever you feel like is their sound what do you do first like what do you when you walk up to a new rig what do you do 
I try and figure out what the last person did. Okay. Um, you know, I try and make, when I come into something, you know, it's not really my job unless I'm asked to, to like invent tones. Mm -hmm. Uh, it, it does happen, but like on a new gig, I want the artist to not realize, I mean, unless the guy, the old guy sucked and he wants a new guy, mm -hmm. which, okay, whatever, but yeah. I want it to be as seamless as possible. I want it to be, you know, I try and turn things on and see if everything turns on and sounds like it's supposed to, mm -hmm. and then adjust from there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't, because people, there's so many ways to build a tone and so many approaches to it. Uh, I don't like to start from ground zero and try and like duplicate something because there's just so many ways to go about it. Like uh, not to go back into guitars, but Slash has this really famous amp that, you know, Gibson, or sorry, Marshall recreated. And, uh, you know, and I got the recreation and I got the real amp out and I dialed it in. And I was like, this thing sounds fucking weird as hell. Yeah. And then finally, Adam Day came up to me one day <clears throat> and he said, yeah, that amp's weird as shit, dude. You got to dial it in all of this, none of that, and stick it through one of these things to get that tone. I, I never would have thought of that, you know, so. Yeah. So there's so many ways to like use one piece of gear and there's just so many variables in there that I try and recreate, you know, I try and take the pieces that are in front of me. Like sometimes I'll fill in for somebody and I won't know, you know, um, I will have to build a tone. Like I'll, like I'll fly into like for a new band and rental gear. So like I'm getting cases, like I'm opening cases, mm -hmm. you know, and to try and recreate a sound I haven't heard before. Yeah. And I, you kind of go with like, you know, how does this band sound to me? Mm -hmm. But if you've only heard the record, then you don't, you know, trying to recreate a record live isn't necessarily, you, know, you only have so many hours in the day, you know, <laughs> and then you only have a gear in front of you. Yeah. And so, I'll, you know, and I'll ask like whoever's there, like, you know, your sound guy is going to be a big help, like, especially you know, if they've had the same sound guy for a while, you know, I'll set it up, dial it in what, you know, I have sort of my default settings I'll use. Like if you hand me an amp, I'll put it where I think it's going to sound right, just based on my knowledge what, of the band. What's your, what's your default setting for like a good bass sound that's not too one way or the other? Um, basically, any new piece of gear, if I don't know it, like... I mean, um, you just sort of like put everything at five and like, especially EQ, um, you know, you try and get a natural signal and then adjust from there as opposed to like trying to like, yeah, the idea with a, especially with a bass is that if you start with a good sounding bass, then you don't have to do as much to it to try and fix it, you know? Um, so you just sort of get the right levels and the right amount of thump and growl. And, you know, a lot like, uh, some people use two bass amps, like with Slash with Todd, we use uh, two bass amps, like one's a little grittier and mm -hmm. one's a little cleaner. So one kind of has that little, that little bit of, you know, peaky distortion to it where you can kind of hear the notes and the other amp, you know, has all that low end that yeah. you feel. 
because that, that's sort of another thing is that like the more distortion you have the less you know yeah. as you get into more distortion you get into less low end and less feel less you yeah, know those, the, those the, mids those mids come up and you i mean you yeah. want mids to cut through but you don't want there to be so much mid and high that you don't get the actual base yeah you because you, you 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 need that that part that shakes people's shorts you know that yeah. <laughs> that yeah. turns that song into more than just the sound it turns it into yeah. a feeling you know exactly. um so yeah, if you have a really distorted bass, you're you know you take all your low end and you're just squishing it into a fuzz sound, which mm -hmm. has its place. Mm -hmm. I mean, like you know, Peter Steele played bass like that in typo negative. Yeah. Um, so it's a sound. Yeah. You know, Les Claypool doesn't worry about holding down the low end. He does whatever the hell he wants. Right. And it that's why he's Les Claypool. Yeah. Um, so there's you know, there's a there's no limit you know it's art there's no limit to how you can approach it but yeah you know, there's also ways to make it sound transparent you know i guess is and let the let the instrument and the performance shine through as opposed to just you know trying to put so much sugar in your cereal that all you taste is sugar you know? yeah 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 and you know i think with with everything that encompasses like what a guitar player is or the bass player is or your, your drummer, or, like every, every aspect it, it defines their tone. Right. So if, yeah. if you're a bass player, it's, it's everything. I mean, it could be even the, the, you know, your nails not being cut. That it, <laughs> yeah. Tone is, it's, it, it, it is a personal thing. And I mean, I work, I've worked with enough guitar players that, you know, have their signature tone that it, I know that it's them. I can put an artist on rental gear with a somebody, you know, a loner guitar and they're going to sound like them. Yeah. And I can pick up, you know, everyone, uh, not to keep going back to the guy in the hat, but like, you know, it was like, I want to sound like Slash. What do I buy? And I'm like, there's not really something you could buy because I play Slash's guitar through Slash's amp in Slash's studio, mm -hmm. sitting in Slash's chair. And I don't sound like him. So there's not, <laughs> not a thing here you could buy that's going to make you sound like him. I mean, there's components and parts and stuff like that. But there's, you know, there's just so many variables that people, you know, there's a nearly infinite number of variables to a recording and to a live performance. Mm -hmm. Like people will hear an album and think, oh, I like that guitar sound. I'm going to go buy that pedal. That pedal is whatever it is, is this much of the sound because there's the microphone and the producers and the engineers and the mastering engineers mm -hmm. and your home stereo and <laughs> however the hell you dick with your controls so that your, you know, car shakes at the intersection. Mm -hmm. Like there's so many variables. Like you put on a song on your headphones and in your car, it's going to sound totally different. That has nothing to do with a pedal anyone used. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's in the hands, it's in the person, it's in the soul or the spirit or whatever, you know, mystical, magical, artistic word you want to use. <laughs> there is an element of magic to all this or whatever you want to call it. A different dimension, for sure. <laughs> there is an undefinable element to music. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because we all speak the language of music. Mm -hmm. 
well and animals too you know i could put on different songs and and you know, my yeah like my dog doesn't know oh yeah this is acdc i like this song or oh this is vivaldi you know like they'll listen to something and either relax or be like this is exciting or this is weird or you know they react to music and they know what you know what's comfortable or too fast or too slow or too creepy you know yeah true well awesome well thanks for all your information today oh no problem thanks for having me on your show it's always good to talk to you, you all right well that was fun with ace <laughs> welcome back and that was so informative yeah he's obviously he has a lot of uh experience being a guitar tech and well tech in general i feel so fortunate to be able to get to see like an inside eye to so many of our guests like yeah journey you know what's crazy is a lot of them know each other <laughs> yeah dude everybody as you as you do more and more you, you find out that the world just gets smaller and smaller and like it's so incestual it's crazy so which is why you want to be cool <laughs> yeah so, you know be a, a good hang and and take the jobs that that you know that you you're going to thrive in because if you if you take a job where you know you're going to hate the music but the people who are cool you probably bear through it but if you think that if you're going to join a band where you don't like the music and you probably don't like half the crew you're probably not the best for the job <laughs> i took a gig uh working for a band and i did not get along with one of the members at all um, and it was to my detriment because, uh, you know, like, even though we like squashed everything, or whatever, uh, it was totally apparent that if we would have got along better on both of our accounts, A, I would have wanted to work with him again and B, he could have hired me for other stuff. Um, but we just didn't gel and yeah. you can't, you can't get upset if that stuff happens, right? Like don't, don't get stepped on. Definitely stand up yourself. Definitely do what you have to do for yourself. Um, it, 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 you know, I'll tell you, that's that's one of the hardest things I think in this this industry to navigate is how to be pushy enough to stay the course and how to bet and where to bend, you know, mm -hmm. like because you never know if you're the one who's on the road to success, you know, because if you're on the road to success and someone else isn't, you can tell them to pound salt, right? But if they're on the road to success, and you tell them to pound salt, that could hurt your success. Yeah. Um, so that's that's really hard to to navigate, you know. Like for me, I could be a douche. Um, I like to think that if I am, it's semi-warranted. Maybe not as much as I'm giving it, but at least a percentage of that, you know, like it's knowing <laughs> knowing when to hold them and knowing when to fold them, you know, like. <laughs> It's it's what it is, you know. Um, I I once I once uh, put in my resignation for a gig right before band set time, and uh, I still worked that gig and that set time, like I was in love with that band. Yeah. And then at the end of the gig, decided you know like I had to talk it out with the band, and it wound up not not working i uh, was sorry wound up continuing to work for them um throughout like that time and it even led to more work but you know and that's another thing like i did i put in my resignation as i was handing a band to their instruments and that gig stuff happened 
And that gig, I was on point. Yeah. You know, it, 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 personal feelings don't matter. Do your job. Do your job. You know, mm -hmm. I feel things. I'm sure you feel things, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. When you're on stage, it's about you and, and your performance and the crowd. You know, you, you're not, no, everybody has to leave it you know, for the stage, they don't, you can't take that stuff with you on the stage. And that's a professional, a professional's way of looking at it, kind of compartmentalizing your feelings into work and non-work. And it's hard to compartmentalize too, because like, like someone like me, and I'm not the only one, right? Like very many techs are also performers, not all, but very many are. Um, and it's, you do, like I said, I've made mistakes and at times, my ego has not been in check. You know, I've, I've forgotten what job I was doing at times. Next time around, I try to remember better. You know, like I actively focus to remember better. Right. Um, this goes, this has been all along our career. You make mistakes in life and in business and in music and in art. And you just got to try and turn it into a happy accident. Mm -hmm. You know, even if you're an asshole, you know, there's there's very many bands that have had fist fights yet oh, can yeah. yet continue. You know, yeah. <laughs> um, there's very many bands that have fist fights and don't continue. <laughs> very many of those also. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So like this whole the whole point of this is like, what does it really take to be world class, man? Like world class player, world class tech world-class industry worker, business worker, business employee, entrepreneur, brand ambassador. You know, we are all of these things. We are everything and so much more, right? We've, we've left the world of made it to the world of do it. Yeah, exactly. And we have to be obsessed with it. Whatever our journey is, whatever our ladder of success looks like, we have to be obsessed with getting at the top of that ladder. And again, it is your own, like one of the things that makes it our own personal journey mm -hmm. is where do we stand our ground and where do we bend? Yeah. yeah. You know, I've not agreed to stuff that bosses have said, and it's been very apparent on my face that I did not agree, but I did what I was supposed to do. Yeah. And at the end of the gig, I was told, like, I was told that was a pro move. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and you know, even I, even even if you're burning up on the inside, just keep it there, best yeah. you can. Yeah. Time will pass. Yeah. Do do your job. Yeah. Do the pro move. And other pro moves that you have to make on tour and being on tour is, you know, you have to be at bus call at the right time. <laughs> you have to be um, at sound check at the right time. You have to sound check properly. You can't phone in sound check. Yeah, many times I've, I've stood up on stage, got all my stuff on there, didn't want to do it, and felt so like phoning it in, but you can't do it. You have to be present. But guess what? After that, everything's fine. You just go get dressed and play the show. So, Do you like that? Do you like getting into your... your... Getting into it? Um, yeah. Getting into to Holly... <laughs> what, is, <laughs> what do you... Well, I get to, I get to dress up, so I think it's fun. You know, I get to pick out my little outfit and put on my makeup. You guys always wear all white all the time because everything I've ever seen, you guys are always wearing all white. Yeah. So the story behind that is um, everyone wears all black. 
<laughs> no, they used to wear just kind of, you know, 70s clothes. And then the drummer decided one day that she wanted to project Barbarella onto the stage. And so everyone. Mm, so you guys became white. a projector screen. Yeah. So everybody was supposed to wear white and then they projected Barbarella and she made the set um, go with the movie. So after that. You guys still do anything like that ever? We wear white. <laughs> Because that's what everybody talked about. They didn't talk about the movie. They didn't talk about Barbarella. They didn't talk about any of that. They just talked about the white. And so they're like, well, that's our thing. And I think it's great because when I knew first knew of Zeparella, I remember them wearing white and, you know, four girls wearing white, playing, putting on a badass show. And if it was another Zeppelin tribute band, I don't think I would have remembered it. Your drummer's dirty blonde, right? Or she clementine so she has kind of oranges here right and then in your singer is a brunette uh -huh. and you're a blonde and gretchen's a redhead with the white clothes that looks so cool dude we're like power or like like your power ranger hat we're like superheroes like powerpuff girls you like the powerpuff yeah. girls you each got your yeah. own little color there yeah we all have our own color go green go green powerpuff well what gretchen <laughs> likes to say is we have something for everyone <laughs> Yeah, no, it's really cool. I like it. Uh, I, I think it's 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 great. It's great to see that because not only like like for reels, like for for just visual aspects, if the most common thing in music has been seeing um, a bunch of dudes with the same black haircut in the mm -hmm. same black clothes for 25 years in metal to yes. see four girls all in white with all like like seeing your hair automatically like triggers like oh they're different personalities right it's just yeah, like yeah. you each have your own power ranger color yeah. right like yeah. yeah and so that's so cool from the norm you know it's uh as seth godden or godin would say i think godin godin i don't remember i don't know but the author about marketing uh he has this great book that i've uh, read a few times called the purple cow mm -hmm. and it talks about how he used to drive around in the countrysides with his parents in france and like when you're not used to seeing cows and you see a cow, you're like, whoa, look at the cows. But then you and you're from Texas, so you know this. So you'll get to this one area where there'll just be cows for miles. And there's mm -hmm. so many cows that you stop. There's no longer a feeling of, wow, look at the cow. Like, wow, look at the cows. It's the cows. Cow. <laughs> but if you saw one purple cow, you'd never forget that you saw that purple cow. You'd okay. never forget it. Which is kind of what we've talked about before, you know, standing out as a bassist. Um, you really do want to stand out. Yeah. Um, but it, it, and it goes with being in a band, too. I mean, bands need to stand out. And we're coming into this uh, age where you, you're going to have to be different because it's it's like almost society's making you be different. So Listen, MTV got lost to reality TV. Yeah. You know, and why did it get lost to reality TV? Because music was telling the same old story. And reality TV was telling every single person's individual, absolutely gut-wrenching, tragic story of despair and depression and 17 kids at once, mm -hmm. you know, like, or like, you know, 16 and pregnant beat out all of our favorite bands, music videos. Like, let's think about that. Yeah. Why? Because it's a tragic personal story that yeah. even if there's another 16 year old pregnant girl, like, her story's different. Like her parents don't accept her. Like this ones do accept her, but her boyfriend's parents don't like it's the Jerry Springer effect, right? Without 
um, with that with that drama, we're we're so much more interesting. <laughs> you know, where it used to be mystique was what gave you your allure. Now it's how tragic you are. Well, in you know, some respects. Well, with that, and then also, like as far as bands are concerned, with with that, the look and the partying that used to go on, I'm sure a lot of people think nowadays that bands don't get along, or there's so much partying. How can everybody get along? There's a lot of uh, we get a lot of talk about you know our band being all female must not get along because you know girls don't really get along that well. Well, our band gets along better than any band that I've ever been in. So. <laughs> um, and it's because of, there's no ego and there's um, appreciation for everyone and we're authentic. If everyone's appreciative of one another, it's very easy to not have an ego. Yeah. When one person does not do their job in a constantly moving machine, mm -hmm. egos tend to burn from friction, mm -hmm. right? the the sharing of responsibilities is the lubrication for the machine mm -hmm. i'm a firm believer in this you guys gotta all be on the same page everyone will always have their responsibilities some people's will be lighter than others some people's will you know will be harder than others everything is based upon skill set mentality and work ethic right but like if you have a member of your band who can't do all the things that you can do, um, don't give them a hard time. You're just gonna, you know, pour, pour uh, gasoline on that fire, right? Bring them up to your level so that now your band's on this level instead of being on. When you, yeah, when you have a member of your band who absolutely it can do that stuff and doesn't do that stuff, those are tricky scenarios. Sometimes you have to push your brothers or your sisters, you know farther and harder yeah. sometimes you have to just accept who they are yeah but um, a good attitude goes a long way because it, it it most people who are wanting to tour are wanting to tour because they want that experience and they do want to play music for a living and they want to have these relationships and you know the perks of being a musician on tour is pretty good too so yeah two free beers and seven dollars a day well, and then there's also <laughs> all these other bands and being able to network and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, all, all the lies we tell each other. Yeah. All, all the lies we tell ourselves to <laughs> sleep in a van for 15 hours straight while another member of the band drives for 15 hours straight. Right. right. It's it, You got to love it and you got to be working together and you got to be on the same team to traverse such trying moments. Exactly. And you they're typically people want to be impressed or want to impress you. So if you just are honest with them and bring them to your level of where you understand things, um, they're typically going to react in a good way. It's, it's, I, I haven't, I've only had a couple of shows blow up, but it was because whoever did it was just not working with anybody that day any dude yeah like a stage manager can make or break a show full of big bands yeah just a stage manager alone mm -hmm. you know a single a single glitching microphone cable mm -hmm. can piss off every single band on mm -hmm. the bill yeah it really can it really Absolutely. can yeah. a, a sound guy who can't cut feedback from the stage monitors yeah can it's you not gonna not gonna fly dude 
Not yeah, and a, 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 um, a, a front of house guy that has a bad attitude. <laughs> I, we don't deal with that anymore. <laughs> Man, one of my favorite things about the infancy of the internet were the pissed off sound guy memes. Like, that's such a stereotypical thing, man. Like the pissed off house sound guy when you come into the town, like it doesn't work, you know? And that's that's another thing too that points out how strong your team has to be because you will show up to the gigs where you have what feels like zero cooperation from the at-home team, right? Mm -hmm. And in those moments, in that face of adversity, you have to face it as a team and you have to conquer it as a team. Yeah. You know, there's been, <laughs> there was one uh, show that I was teching and we didn't have a bass cab because we were sharing the cab with the other band, the headlining band on the tour. And I was teching it. Um, but that one day, the two bands had two shows in two different venues. So we didn't have a bass cab and the house was supposed to provide a bass cab. And uh, I, I like can't even describe to you the horrors that they had and what they called base cabs. Mm -hmm. the, and you think that that's such a simple, simple yeah. request. It's yeah. not. It's yeah. not. <laughs> I think we talked about this before. You know, you, you have a writer if you're flying into a gig and you're supposed to have what's on that rider and most of the time it doesn't happen. That yeah. Way. Yeah. They had a rider. They, we were told I was in contact. I was the tech slash assistant tour manager of that tour. And I was in contact with this dude. I was given specs. I was told specs. I gave specs. It was specs out the ass. Yeah. We showed up there. Different story altogether. Yeah. You know, um, it was just, it was chaos. It was chaos. It was a base cab. It, long story short, it was a base cabinet that didn't work. Yeah. That's, that's what it was. It was a base cabinet that didn't work. Yeah. And then that's when you need a good crew guide or tech around that can help you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, it allows you know how to do it yourself, right? I was the New Jersey guy in a New York venue. Let me just say ah. that we're ready to roll. Yeah, you guys hate each other or something, right? Yeah, it's it's because we both have the, the same attitude, but we're across the pond. So like a New Yorker looks at someone from New Jersey. And he's like, hey, screw that guy. And in New Jersey is like, oh, yeah, screw your mother. Like and it just goes back and, and then it escalates. And it's like, <laughs> you know, it's it, it just it just goes that way. In fact, my very first day working for for prong, I didn't know that Tommy Victor was from New York, mm -hmm. right? Because he lived in L.A. and I had no idea that he uh that he lived in New York. And that was one of the very first things that I told him. I was like, yeah, my Jersey attitude comes from all dealing with all those assholes from New York. Uh. <laughs> and he's like, what are you trying to say? I was like, what do you mean? What am I trying to say? You wanted to do two of us to drive on the road and see what happens? Who's going to honk first, pal? Who's going to honk first? Oh, you know, God. like one of us. <laughs> but it's the truth. It's, it's, you know, it's just a dynamic for this region. And it's very funny. It's very, you know, that, that, uh, attitude of the go-getter new york city it definitely most of those people who work in new york city all that driving firefighters this you know like businessmen that you know stock market police and my you know nypd the you know every, everyone the union workers con edison everyone all those guys that deal with all that crap yeah live in new jersey 
<laughs> you know, like that's that's just the truth. They don't live in New York. They work there. They do. They run New York. They live in New Jersey or Connecticut. Yeah. Yeah. They can they commute to the city. Yeah. You know, and and that's that's uh, we used to have this term. What was it? Sunday drivers. Yeah. Yeah. Or or around here, it was New York driver. If someone if so, if you were in New Jersey when I was growing up. And you were in like your friend's parents' car, you were in your grandmother's car. It didn't matter who, what saint of an angel was behind the, the, the steering wheel. Like, you know, I've seen my little old grandmother scream out the window because the person who did the thing had a New York license plate. And it's like, it was like if someone did that, did something and had the opposing plate back in the day, it was like, magnified times 10 dude you know get new york driving (laughs) that's a thing you know when i was in la i never saw anyone hanging out the window screaming you nevada driver like it didn't happen like (laughs) drive past you and keep going really fast (laughs) really fast in la not for real (laughs) not not on the 101 You're like, well, during COVID, you can definitely. Then, yeah, I I thought I lived 45 minutes away from work. And then uh, the first day of quarantine, when I started to drive to Pasadena, I realized I lived 10 minutes away from work. I had no idea. I had no idea that I lived 10 minutes away from work down the highway. I thought I lived 45 minutes away from work down the highway. Uh (laughs) That was like, what? Crazy. It was eye opening. (laughs) um but yeah guys listen it's perseverance it's hard work it's dedication it's making mistakes it's getting back up from them it's networking it's knowing your stuff these are these things that make us on or put us on the path to being as professional as we can um again all of these things that we talk about yes we're looking at this from the viewpoint of a bass player for the most part um but everything and those metaphors can be used for all avenues. Yeah, yeah, business and uh, anything really. If you're business, to- education, okay. discipline, it doesn't matter. I have, I have a student who is a martial arts instructor and quite often I get to make the metaphors about the discipline of martial arts versus the discipline of being a musician. They're very similar. You don't have to kick, you don't have to kick your shin against this wooden board for 45 minutes to strengthen up yourselves, you know, to and harden up your bones, but you have to do that to your fingertips when you're running scales. Same story, you know? There's a great uh, book called Zen Guitar that talks kind of the same, uh, taking the music practice and the dojo practice and kind of mirroring them together and that's uh a good book i have this tcb tattoo and it's a elvis presley quote taking care of business in a flash yeah (laughs) and it comes from uh there's you you guys can look it up online there's this thing called the tcb oath and it's basically elvis like talking about how um the real way to success like I'll, i'll summarize it is like the way to to overall success is to Respect all instructors, respect all of your masters, and you know, respect all of your peers, um, and take all techniques and put them into one. All techniques into one. That's like the main takeaway from that. Yeah. Is you know, that's where your humility has to come in. Yes, yeah. you have to be proud of yourself, 
but you also have to say you're sorry and say i i was wrong mm -hmm. you know and sometimes dude, just saying you're sorry and realizing you were wrong that'll save the gig sometimes even if you do blow your top yeah sometimes just saying you're sorry and working really hard and making up for it and buying someone dinner or buying them a beer or something yeah sometimes yeah. uh they rip off the band-aid yeah <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, the one guy that I didn't get along with, I didn't talk to him on the road for three days. Mm. We had a three-day drive across the country and uh, no shows in between. And in that spat, we got into a spat. Mm -hmm. And I finally, at the next show, I didn't really didn't want to at the time. You know what I mean? Because, you know, you, you, when you're pissed off at someone, you're pissed off at someone. Um but I knew that the better thing to do as a human being was to be professional and say, all right, man, can we squash this? Like, I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, you know, like even, even though I was the one that was reacting to something that was done to me, mm -hmm. swallow your pride, take the blame, say you're sorry, move on. Yeah. Sometimes you have to be the first one. <laughs> almost every time you have to be the first one like like because that's what it takes right like in in order for any discrepancy to to cease someone has to succumb mm -hmm. you're right my bad mm -hmm. that's the only way anything bad ends mm -hmm. even if you're right doesn't matter say you're mm -hmm. sorry and say you were wrong mm -hmm that thought that frame of mind that argument over the nfl draft and your fantasy football team like don't let that affect your next single mm. you know um maybe let the dude who never tunes his guitar have it because yeah you don't want to add a tune guitar in your next single but it's like again choose your battles you know Well, cool. So this has been a fun episode for everybody to talk episode about. Six, six, six. Episode six, yeah. And this is actually where we thought we would end off with all of the ideas we have, but we we just keep rolling with them. So keep rolling, 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 rolling. So what do we talk about next time? Um, what we have here on the script is in this next episode, we will be discussing about being in a band and why you should just say yes to everything, every gig that you possibly can. Well, there's only one key point in our script, actually, that we didn't touch on, and it would be great to touch on in the next episode. Yeah. But it's the importance of, like, if you're going to play bass, have a bunch of different basses. Have four strings, have five strings, have six strings, have stand-up basses, have a banjo, have an acoustic bass, learn how to play piano, like... Learn how to learn how to sing backup. Learn as many different things as you can because you never know where you'll benefit. Yeah. You know, I'm a guitar player slash bass player slash guitar tech slash bass tech slash stage hand slash assistant tour manager slash class A CDL driver. I can do all <laughs> and I know how to solder. Like, like, so I could do all kinds of things. You know, when it comes to bringing me on the road, I come with a toolbox and a couple of basses and a couple of guitars and my, my my machine keys. It is what it is. But I guarantee you, I, I if I'm bringing that stuff, it's because if I need it, I'm going to have it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's always important to be uh, prepared. 
So, um, yeah, we did talk a little bit about being in a band today, but there's so many things that we could talk about. So we'll save them for next time. Same bat time, same bat channel. So in case you guys haven't caught on yet, this episode is going to, well, it has already played, but every episode is airing at 9 a.m. Pacific time, 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time every single Monday. Every Monday, that is our airtime. If in the event we have any form of technical technical difficulties, the episode will air at 6 p.m. But we are going to air every episode at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on YouTube, Spotify, and everywhere else that you can listen to your podcast. Thank you guys so much for joining us on this extended episode. <laughs> it's a pretty long one. <laughs> this is a pretty long one. And we actually... Uh, is shorter for you guys. We have like 45 minutes of just us talking in the beginning that I recorded. <laughs> so we're going to have some, we're going to have some cool behind the scenes stuff coming. make sure to follow Holly West on Patreon at patreon.com slash Holly West music and Holly West music on all of the internet things.com, Instagram, Facebook, and alike. Make sure to follow me on Patreon, patreon.com slash Dean Music Official. And again, Dean Music Official on all internet things alike, .com, Instagram, and in between. Thank you so very much. Make sure to like, share, subscribe, and I can't wait to see you guys in the next episode. Make sure to comment and tell us what kind of things you want to hear us talk about. Yeah, let us know what, what else we can be talking about. We have tons of subjects to, to touch on, but we would also Ooh, and and here, here's another little another little reminder. Plan 916 is going to be giving us a set of P-Base pickups to give away to one of our lucky listeners. Make sure to listen to the next couple episodes to hear details about that. Bye, guys. See you later.